Okay, the light is green. Oh my, let's start the show. Mm. No, 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 no! Ah! Hi, this is Dale Lear, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. Coco Talk, the nation's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer, with your host, Mr. Gameplay Goodness himself, Stevie Strout. All right, well, we are here, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we are here. We've actually got an audience. The show just started, and we already have an audience. Let's see who was... Um, who was dedicated enough to waste their day with us today. One of the earliest birds here was Sixy. Karen Anscombe was out there. Exile in Paradise out there. Rick U, Mark O, L. Curtis B, Kevin Holloway, Canadian Retro Things, Jim Rye, frequent participator in the Game On Challenge, was out there. Hello to uh, all of you who are watching us right now across the multiverse. Welcome to Coco Talk, episode 256. We have now rolled into the ninth bit of our dearly beloved 16-bit address space machine. And um, we got things to talk about today. We got results to review. We've got news to cover. Tom Eric Gunderson's out there. Hey, Tom. We got our panel. Let's say hi to our panel. Our resident Apple guy, Johnny on the spot with the live chat and the links and the quips. Mark Overholzer is here. Hello, Marco. Hi there. Glad to be here. And Mr. Dave just showed up in the live chat. Mr. Dave, hello to you. Uh, we have Alan, Exile and, Mur Exile and Paradise Murphy is with us. Hey, Alan. Howdy, howdy. Welcome to the program. We've got Rick Eulin from Coco Connect with one N. How you doing, Rick You. <laughs> Greetings, folks. Uh, and it's warm. No, no, it's no, it's no, 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 it's warm. No, it's snowing. Never mind. No, all right, all right. We have our backup streamer and engineer and well-dressed dude, Mark Bosley's in the house. Hey, Mark. Hello. I think we'll save some of the details when we get into updates, acquisitions, and stories to share. But I believe somebody has recently past a thing or two maybe you can share some of those details with us but he's in arizona he's got a garage rondello hello, 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 hello. is with us we're live yeah we are live we have Done just visiting been, hospitals just been waved at by b rye fpv hello b rye and uh, he's got a YouTube channel. He's got a Twitch channel. He plays games. He does retro stuff. He's from Canada. He's from Canada. Is that a word? He's from <laughs> he's he's from Close Canada. Enough. He's from Canada, and he's into retro things. Ken Waters, how are you doing, eh? I'm doing good, eh? Hey, good. It's a beauty. Yeah. Take off, beauty. eh? Beauty, eh? We Ball hockey. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. We have our foreign correspondent, news anchor, Nitrous 09 advocate. Host of a games list website, got well manicured hair, you name it, he's got it. L. Curtis Boyle joins us today. How's it going, eh? Welcome to the show, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Speaking of Canadians, once again, the trifecta, the pinnacle of Canadian awesomeness, Canadian number three, DeBruce Moore is with us today. Hey, DeBruce. Oh, Canada. Peace, man. 
Peace. Oh, Tim Hortons. All right. So DeBruce is here, and I think you might have something to talk about today with us, DeBruce. You might talk about the uh, thing or the two. And uh, he is waiting in line to get his Earl changed, the maker of fine products involving toggle switches and whatnot. Jason, the Cocoa Man Riker, is here. Hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. Yes, live, late-breaking coverage of the drive-through oil change place somewhere in the Mountain State. Okay, and Spe- you just answered a question from Grant Leedy in our live chat. Grant Leedy asks, where is Coco Man going this week? The answer is to get his Earl changed. Uh, I've also just been greeted by David Craker, who says, hey, hey, hey. All right, so David Craker's out there. Last but certainly not least, The Thunder from Down Under, celebrating his 10th million copy sale of Zero Hour. Nicholas Morentes joins us today. Good day, Nick. Oh, crikey. Is it that time of the week again? Crikey. Crikey. Uh-huh. Welcome, Nick. Thank you uh-huh. for th- Thanks for taking time away from counting your money. From all of your game sales and <laughs> from, from from waking up early in the morning, more like it. Polishing the Ferraris. And Nick's Nick's toughest part of his day now is going out to the mailbox and just grabbing just stacks of checks, right? So it's. <laughs> you mean like the check cereal? Yes, yes. Not and not to be confused with the Republic either. Um, so we're going to do something different today, boys and girls, because we don't have a special guest. We don't have an interview. So rather than just racing right into the game on results, we thought we would switch it up a little bit. And we're going to go ahead and do our updates and acquisitions and stories to tell and feelings to share. What did you do this week? Anything of any type of significance, things you want to talk about, feelings you want to share, anything you want to get off your chest. Um... Anything of that nature. So who would like to go first with their updates and acquisitions? Uh, uh, Rondell Vo. Rondell Vo is waving his hand. Let me spotlight you, Ron. Uh, Ron, anything interesting happened to you this week? Yeah, I had some kidney stone uh, blasting going on for two weeks. It was was just glorious. Oh. Oh, And in between, I went to a hospital for pain because I could barely um, be even civil, you know. If you can believe it or not. <laughs> anyway, um, I have an SDC that um, I've loaded. I have nearly 800 pictures from uh, high color that I, you know, transcribe all the time. And I get a little notice that comes up. It says uh, 400 file limit. So I thought I'd <clears throat> make you guys aware of it and see that. Uh, do you have um, any ideas how to fix it? No, wait, I do. I thought to myself, why don't I just go through all my pictures and alphabetize them and put a, you know, A, B, C, D, and then mm-hmm. fill each one, and then there wouldn't be any any kind of problem. Yeah. So that's what I guess I have to wind up doing, which will take quite a while. It's 400 files per nah. folder. Wow. I have a folder called, uh, you know, pictures one, pictures two type thing. So there's that. And then um, if you get a chance to go to the um, Facebook uh, color computer group page. I posted a, a video of a 6800 machine that the guy got um, acquired from a friend, <clears throat> and it's real interesting to look at the inside of the machine and and see that from 1990, I think it was 1975, it was made, and uh, you know it has the early 6800 um, processor in it, the precursor to ours. 
and um, just neat to see uh, how the uh, in the old days what they did. You, you, you didn't have a keyboard, you didn't have a a mouse, you had to have a terminal. It just had a, a RS two thirty two out, and I thought that was interesting to look at. Yeah, I posted that, and then um, if you get a chance, uh, Ron's garage. That's it. Ron's Garage on Facebook. Well, we're not going to let you off the hook that easy because you've had kidney stones. So what we want to do is we want to know some more of the painstaking details. Because uh, uh, <laughs> I think only Steve really wants to hear all that. Well, you know, it's so, and we were having this brief discussion right before we went live. But they basically say, and according to some people, women have confirmed this too. But um, supposedly, a man having kidney stones is close to, if not greater than. The sensation of a woman giving birth, like childbirth, like yes. just the amount of pain, right? And that is correct. Yeah. And supposedly if women have a, women who've had stones have said it is actually worse than childbirth. So, um, yeah. Well, I, I had them up in the kidney, and they blasted them, and then um, there was I'm getting no results, and then it started to hurt. So I went to the hospital. They did um, scans. Then I went a second time because things did move, but it, it aggregated. For some reason, my um, stones are soft, so they they went to uh, the top of my bladder and hang, hung out. On hung the out. They were just chilling, huh? It, it was a killer. <laughs> yeah. So I had those blasted. So now chunks and pieces are coming out. And uh, my wife works at uh, ASU, and uh, she does research on uh, Alzheimer's. So <clears throat> she has access to a... Uh, you know, what do they call it? And the ultrasound? Microscope. Microscope. And they have, they have cameras on it. So I want to get her to take a picture of what it looks like, and I'll post it on my uh, page. All right. And you can see they're, they're pretty spiking looking, I'm told. Hmm. I haven't really Googled them to see what they look like, but, you know, maybe it'll look like a coconut or something. Right. Well, well, to make well, a Ross. fit. <laughs> Well, Ron, all you need to do is sit on a speaker and put Aerosmith on 11. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, my, my dad had that a lot when I was growing up. And yeah. I remember one time we were kids, we were getting ready to take a trip to the whole family to go to Disney World. And we had to cancel the family trip because he was just in so much pain. He had to go to the hospital. And he had suffered with that for a long time. And, and I guess the way they're dealing with it has gotten better over the years. But yeah. Like you mentioned, like to be able to kind of sonic blast it and break it up and make it smaller so it's easier to pass. <laughs> Tim Franklin says, Ron played asteroids all week. <laughs> Usually you're shooting at the rocks, not shooting the rocks, but close enough, right? So... <laughs> But yeah, so and I, and I think one of the last times he had it, the doctor was like, "Well, why don't we just analyze what it's made out of and let's see if there's something in your diet you could do because usually it's like you know a lot of yeah. calcium or red meat or other things like that contribute to that buildup over time. So ho hopefully they'll get you a prescription on how to modify your intake to maybe minimize that. Bruce here, I I, I went through that a number of years ago. I had two attacks. Oh my god. And yeah. Pretty much what we na nailed it down to was that I, I got on this kick of taking mega doses of vitamin C uh -huh. without taking mega doses of water to go with it. Oh, so it's just calcifying it, to it. collected, and yeah, and it was, uh, yeah, Ron. Amazing. <laughs> Anybody who's been through it, like we should have, I don't know, medals or something. To yeah, well, the thing is, you know you're serious. not going to die, okay? But it, it but, doesn't but feel it, any better. No, it feels like death <laughs> If soon, soon yeah. Be. Well, and if it's not going to come, if it's not going to come from the pain, 
my wife's just gonna I'm gonna wake up dead with with a, a kitchen knife in my chest. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you experienced this, Ron, but but when I would have when when they would start to move and I'd have the attack, um, I found it helpful to actually inflict pain on another part of my body to distract. Yeah, to distract you, huh? Yeah, yeah. I actually wow. pounded my thigh. Good thing I didn't have a knife because. I didn't <laughs> <have> a knife. <laughs> well, I I fell on one knee uh, about just before this stuff happened, and hurt my knee, and that was a little painful. And then I thought to myself. Why doesn't my knee hurt anymore? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's gone. It's fine. And my back, that's just no problem at all. All I have is a huge, you know, this pain radiating from the back quarter or down below. Yeah. The pain circuits were overloaded. They couldn't have yeah. the input of the knee anymore. Wow. Yeah. Well, bless your heart, Ron. We're glad you're doing yep. okay. It's always... Nice. How is that Terry Steggy doing? Okay. Yeah, how is Terry Steggy doing? <laughs> Bless his heart, right? Yeah. Uh, the Taylor and Amy show have just joined us saying good afternoon, gentlemen. Well, we'll have to do. There are no gentlemen here, but thank you. <laughs> I would like to say one last thing. Sure, Ron. Could we make sure we have potty breaks on a regular interval today? Let, r listen, r Ron, <laughs> so, r Ron, just so you know, you've never needed to have a hall pass or ask for permission. You're always free to get up and go when you have to. Okay. But we will try to do that um, a little more frequently of everybody. For, for you and your stones. All right. Um, and God bless you, Ron. We're glad you're here. You are, you're such a trooper. I love that you're putting in Facebook, you know, what you're going through, but you're just on the other side of that, there's the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, you know? So yeah, you, you are a I'll trooper. Good, you're a trooper. You're a trooper. And look who we have. Is that Jacob? Yeah. Dude, what happened to that like 10 year old kid? I remember from a couple years ago. I don't know. Time. <laughs> How old are you now? I'm 14. 14. You are starting to look like your dad a little bit there too. I'm not sure that's a good thing, but um, <laughs> hey, good to see you, Jacob. And um, all right, so that was Ron Delvaux. Uh, thank you, Ron, for your update. And yep. always, no matter what is going on, you've always got something. You've got some cheer and joy to spread. You are a gift, Ron. And I, even though right. your acquisition was something you didn't want. It's yeah. yeah. Exclusive. <laughs> no. Exquisition. <laughs> yeah. So, Ron, thank you. You're a treasure. You're a national treasure. Um, uh, who else? We are. We're going to hear from from the Moors, the Bruce and the Jacob Moors. But anybody else have an acquisition? I think Alan Murphy. Did you have something you wanted to talk about? Let me spotlight you. Well, let's oh, bring in the spotlight. Ugh. How horrible. Uh, yeah, acquisition. Got some zero hour. Oh, All right. Another check another check in the mailbox. Another shrimp on the Barbie for an old man. <laughs> yeah, basically got blown up the earth like a million times. So uh, I heard there's another ending to this game, but I don't believe it. Have you written a review for it in uh, Discord by any chance? Uh, I did, and on the Coco Show's Discord. Ah. And, yeah, uh, that's their uh, game reviews for this next, uh, what is it, the 23rd? Whatever okay. the Saturday yeah. is coming up in April. They're, that's their game to review on the Coco Show. Exactly. So, yeah, reviews have been posted. Now, was this was this what you call the hard pass, like you re recommended for a few other games, or no? Was this a must-play? Oh, <laughs> uh, this was... Uh, or, well, I forgot what you called them. Was, the, that, the, that was my other update. Your was, other. I did some other game reviews in the past week that... Uh, didn't seem to go over so well with the authors or the audience. So mm. 
oh well um i posted those on discord too for anybody who wanted to see that and uh other places just in case so uh yeah what else oh i also posted some blog updates um on the coco discord about some experiments i did with mge files and uh commenting anim tool and some Python code that I wrote to show MGEs on Linux and some other stuff. Can you translate so, that to English for us? What is an MGE? You can look at pictures on Linux made on Cocos. Oh. Stuff. Okay. Oh, so MGE being the ColorMax 3 file Correct. format. Ah. Oh, so it's a utility to take a Coco image file and view it in Linux. Yes. Oh, well, that's cool. Very cool. All right. So, yeah updates all right well thank you for doing that and uh it sounds like jason is that you i it is i I, ha I think i may have a new record here with the newest and most recent acquisition okay what's that program i have uh, i have a uh, i have a new oil filter and uh oil <laughs> they did put the oil in He's on the road. Yeah, Wait, you weren't supposed to use it all in your hair, Jason. Oh, yeah. Well, that, yeah uh, uh, but uh, seriously, as far as uh, I am, uh, it's looking very promising that I'm going to be able to start uh, resuming uh, normal shipments to Australia here within the next uh, within the next few weeks uh, from CocoMan.biz. So, you know, uh, you know, like I had said before on the program, there was uh, uh, a service stoppage from the U.S. Postal Service delivering to Australia and all the other options were quite costly. Well, I found something that cost just about the same and, and uh, seems to be working so far. I'm waiting to hear. If, uh, we'll, we'll make sure that that package gets to Nick Morenti's and then we can uh, open it up to everybody. And because uh, it's kind of ironic that I have Australian themed products. I haven't been able to ship to Australia for a while. Right. September. <laughs> Woohoo. They're passing through the, uh, the customs and the authenticity department to make sure they are genuine and not uh, fake Australian products. So. Crikey. Crikey. <laughs> uh, cool. Very cool. Australia will rejoice when Cocoa Man products can cross over onto their sacred ground. Uh, very cool stuff. Who else got something they want to share? Update, acquisition, anyone, anyone. Well, I've got okay. a little bit of a reacquisition here. Reacquisition. Um, Let me spotlight Rick Euland, everybody. So, so for the longest time, I've been using cam videos and everything else because I couldn't get my video capture card to work with Coco. Um, I'm using a little Recurton. Did you not have the right uh, Nitrous 9 driver to have that capture card work on well, the Coco? Well, you know, <laughs> I have, a, I have a, a Sun LCD that will sync to anything, and I have this little Recurton that makes a VGA signal out of the cocoa, and those two work together, but I can never capture it. Well, I bought a new laptop, and uh, the new laptop, Ooh. same old card, seems to work just fine. And in fact, not only does it work just fine, let me get into some real, um, a real application here. Uh, I should have started this plan. Oh, Nitrous ago. 9. Ooh, look at that. Ah, the show just got better. That's a beauty, eh? <laughs> Oh, we can we can, oh. we can bop, bop right into it and, and read everything. And you're having unless well, you know what I these eight. I don't know. You must have one of those random um, switcheroo cables that has clear eighty columns because what the word on the street is, it's very blurry. The eighty column. I'm, I'm just messing with you, Jason. But yeah, no, you can read the. Uh, <laughs> this is this is RGB into 
a Rekachan converting that to VGA and into a VGA capture card, which managed to handle it just fine. All right, that and, looks good. Uh, not, so not so this is not going through the switcheroo, but Coco RGB and, out uh, is pretty damn clear. And we can, uh, I actually went on to fire up, uh, I guess it doesn't mean anything, but I went on and fired up my little network thing, so, oh, my face came on. How did that happen? Um, I don't understand uh, OBS just yet, but that's not well, happened. That's in one of your scenes, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so, in any case... Um, yep. So, you have multiple scenes set up now in OBS where you can switch stuff around, and you can get your... And, like, you just switch back to you. Look at you. Yeah, now, and now it's me again. Yeah. So, now... Uh, yeah, a nice little transition back in to between. the other one. Yeah. Let's go back to <laughs> there we go. Oh. Coco. Oh, and my head's gone. That's what a deal. Coco IO homepage. So this is this is happening over the network right now. 400 um, well, bad requests. When I, when I recorded it, and then uh, what happened? Coco IO homepage. Howdy. Oh, if you're this, reading this page, you've probably got, got some it, sort of web browser running on your Coco. What? So it actually was live at the time. Yeah. And you got bold fonts, and you got, uh, ah, look at that. You got a Cocoa web browser on your Cocoa. Now, this inverted text is a little bit blurry. Um, so, I'll coming through the capture. But the... Um, the I like text bottom's nice. Yeah, but like the black on green is a little bit uh, kind of lost. Yeah, that's in the, not a color combo I would pick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, this, this is, well, it's, you know, probably fat crap. I don't really try yeah. to even make it look nice. But uh, anyway... I now have a way to actually show my Coco stuff. Now I'm going to have to play games and stuff because I don't have any excuses anymore. All right. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> you have to join in the live feed, the live stream of the gaming. It, exactly. So, well, that's the idea is I should play with my Coco more and work on it less. So, um, cool. Cool. All right. Getting spiffy there. Getting spiffy with the captures. I got just a real quick show off. So I will. Um, spotlight here real quick um, and I need to um, tweak my my camera but um, what I have behind me here which you can't see just yet but I'm gonna zoom in on it and this is one of the nice features of the new camera that I got but I'm gonna zoom in I'm zooming I'm zooming I'm zooming I'm zooming it's kind of weird how the light here we go can you it's see the that bald spot throwing it off there yeah TV. yeah <laughs> so this, this this is Treasure Island Defense uh, from Sheldon McDonald on a cartridge with the Game Master cartridge with the three voice music. It's very cool chip tunes soundtrack. But this is the cartridge running on a real Coco 3. I've had the cartridge for a while, but until recently I had, all my hardware was boxed up somewhere in the garage. So um, I now have this to play with and I'm going to play with that. And I have, I have not played with it yet. I just fired it up today right before the show. But... I think it looks cool, and I and I love that my camera can like zoom in on this, and it looks that clear, you know. Um, and this game plays on the Coco 3 and on the Coco VGA with the same 16 color graphics mode, and because the sound chip is on the cartridge, the music's built in, and um, there he has different versions. One will take advantage of the PSG programmable sound generator, which you need to have a separate cartridge for, and and um, a multi-pack. This one is kind of a self-contained cartridge. So uh, Bob's your uncle, but I am looking forward to playing with that. So I, I got it hooked up. So that's my latest thing. Is got something I acquired in the past I can now actually play with. So uh, there we go. 
and then if nobody else has anything, maybe we can go ahead and segue over to DeBruce. Uh, did anybody else have an update or an acquisition to share or to discuss? All right, well then what we'll do real quick, because we aired this probably last week. I don't know if we aired it the week before or not, but this is a teaser clip from DeBruce Moore about something that he's working on that we may or may not find out about at uh, Coco Fest coming up. So why don't we just uh, roll that clip and then we can, uh, we can talk about it after that. So here we go, we're gonna roll a clip. For many a year, peace has reigned throughout the realm. In the forest, nothing but ruins of an ancient fortress remain to fuel the myth of the evil wizard. Tales of your ancestors' quest are met with laughter. Mockery follows your warnings. But you know what awaits. I literally, I literally jumped out of my seat when that tree came at me. I, I'm like, whoa, wow, that was, uh, wow. That was the point. I was wondering how many people jumped. I that was, jump. that was a jump scare. <laughs> That's what the kids call a jump scare, right there. Um, Bruce, are you going to make an alternate one where you spell the word color right? <laughs> are you kidding? <laughs> I thought about that when I put it on there, and I thought, what kind of ribbing am I going to get? So. So it cuts both ways. I get the Canadians are going to hate me if I put it. I'd almost say it cuts like a knife. (laughs) But it feels so nice. Um, But yeah. That's Canadian. (laughs) I'm going to take a wild guess and say this is, I don't know if I'm going to call it a sequel, but potentially a spiritual successor to the hit game Forest of Doom. What gave it away? I don't know. I'm just reaching here. (laughs) I don't know. I, I, I can relate to the you know the uh, the mockery part with my mug, which I'm on the road, so I don't have right, right now. Right. I'm also going to reach here a little bit. Now, the Forest of Doom, I believe we're now confining ourselves to maybe you know a couple of square acres, but the Realm of Doom is possibly a larger uh, world that we'll be dealing yeah, absolutely. with. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Right. I think they bulldozed the Forest of Doom and they put it in a <laughs> shopping center. <laughs> <laughs> Put up a parking lot. No, no, no. No, I'm uh, looking forward to revealing uh, a playable demo for Coco Fest, which is in what, like six weeks? Six weeks, eh? Six weeks. And so I got to, I suppose I got to stop pushing new features into it and actually make sure everything runs. (laughs) That's no fun. But like like I've done before my other projects, um, I, I, I tend to end up doing something... Uh, I don't know if odds is quite the right word. Innovative, maybe. Innovative. A, a little different. Yeah, different. Um, yeah, and How about um, automated. <laughs> with Forest of Doom, you would. Uh, I actually made a book. It was. It was the. Uh, ad, I don't know the adventure guide or whatever, and you would you would buy the book, and you would download the code from the book to to, uh, to play the game. <clears throat> so that was that was different. 
And this is going to be different again. Oh, excuse me. <clears throat> this again has got another something quite different. And uh, of course, I'm not going to tell you what it is now. You're going to have to find out at the fest. But um, it, it's. Uh, I think it's. I think it's going to be. Well, it's. It's. Yeah. I, you know what? I don't. I'm scared to say. Okay. Don't just, say anything then. Just keep keep us in the suspense. I'm scared to let it get away on me. Okay. Let's don't. Just say, this has not been done. This has not been done on the cocoa before. Okay. Okay. It, it, is not, it has not been done. And so it's going to be a very interesting, I think it's going to be a very interesting reveal. And it could have repercussions on the whole gaming side of, of the cocoa, potentially, for everybody. Well, so. well, well don't undersell yourself. Right? Yeah, 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 not at all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, keep it humble. Well, we'll see. We'll see. Hashtag. Hey, can I ask? Yeah. Careful Can I ask a technical right? question? I'm sure. Um, the original Force of Doom, I think, was 32K disk basic required. Is that the yeah. same for this one, or does this need a bit more beefier of a machine? No, this this needs more, but it's still, it'll, um, Coco 2, 64K. Okay, like so no Coco 3 required. All RAM, You're still... all RAM yeah. mode. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so there's a whole lot of, whole lot of shaking going on there. Um, it, Coco 2 and Coco 3, um, because I'm also there, I'm also using basic in it, but I'm carefully overriding parts of the operating system. It's been quite a, it's been quite a juggling act, but it's working, it's working, and it's allowing me that and and partnering up with a couple other Cocoa people. Like I'm going to be presenting this um, as a speaker at the fest, and part of the point of my presentation is going to is is like well, while you can Cocoa by yourself, isn't it way way more fun to to do it in community right yeah and so to, to that end this this thing that I'm, I'm bringing out here is is while it's my vision it really is relied on the help of a number of people to make it to to make it come along and uh, I, i'd much rather that's why i'm back in the coco thing altogether is because of the community that's yeah, community that's collaboration yeah the collaboration the community and why would i do the most fun i've ever had is when i'm doing the coco stuff with other people and so that's exactly what I'm doing with this this new game, and uh, I'm just looking forward to to seeing what you guys think about it and enjoying it and having fun with it. And uh, um, yeah, I don't want to say anymore. I'll just I don't know. I'm I'm hearing some there's some certain keywords that are going off here: enjoyment, fun, community. I don't know. This I, I, this doesn't this just kind of rubs me the wrong way here. I'm not feeling that whole vibe. What? Obviously, <laughs> you must be writing at Nitrous Nine, right? I mean, with those kind of keywords going. <laughs> Oh, uh, I thought about it, but oh. we'll, we'll get you there eventually. <laughs> I think I want to make a prediction. I, you know, now last time it was a it was a book and a link. I think this time it's you know maybe you're going to moder modernize it instead of a a physical book. It's going to be an ebook and an audio book. You download the link for the program from. Interesting idea, but no. <laughs> you kind of you kind of just it left them hanging. Yeah, see, when you, really when you say you know, no, we can now scratch things off the list that it isn't. If you don't say anything plausible deniability, we can just keep guessing forever. So You, you can. But yeah. I'm, uh, Jacob and I are driving out. Ja Jacob's, Jacob's got a significant contribution to this project besides just being a tester. Uh -huh. and, uh, and we're bringing hardware down this time. Because, Ooh. You know, and nice. we're going to have a bunch of stuff plugged in and it's going to be interesting. And, and I don't know, I don't know if you can see this guy. Yeah, right. the, 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 the evil right? forest tree 3D printed, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I. Uh, it's I lost. Put, it's put lost it in, in your of, virtual background now, but yeah. yeah. Put, it, put it in front of your belly. In your front, front of your face, there maybe. You nah, we're getting lost in the virtual background. Belly. It's too black. Yeah. Anyway, he's going to come along. I don't know. Maybe we'll end up having a contest, and maybe someone will be actually be able to win one of these guys. I don't know. Hey, hey Bruce. Your, your boy is about the age that a lot of us were first starting out on uh, color computer. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. 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 And it's, um, yeah, he'll be turning 15 just as we leave Coco Fest. Wow. The day after. We need to uh, celebrate. Yeah. Yeah. So. There's a strip yeah, club nearby, right? <laughs> well, there's, there's going to be cookies there probably, right? It's too bad he wouldn't have his learner's license, but then he can drive all the way back for you. Yeah, right? Yeah. Well, maybe next Designated year. driver. We'll yeah, see. I, I, next year, you can just bring a case of Molson with you as you're coming down, right? So, uh, beauty, eh? Anyway, yeah, you know, really looking forward to the fest. I mean, I missed it the last couple of years. It's only six weeks away. Uh, yeah, I, I'm curious. Is, how many f folks here are confirmed uh, on the panel or confirmed to be coming this year? And and doing a presentation as well with Ken. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Hey. I'm not confirmed yet because I haven't booked uh, travel arrangements yet, but I, I plan to. It's just going to be, I'm going to be late in getting everything going. But yeah, I, I plan on being there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. That's good. Thanks. Yeah. Uh-oh. Ron Delvaux holding up a Dungeons of Dagorath cartridge. Yeah, look at the price on it. $4? Did you see it? Yeah. Four ninety five. Yeah, it was on a clearance rack, evidently, at one time. Four ninety-five. What, what can you get like it more it? currently online? What do you think? Hmm. Thirty. Twenty-five, oh, thirty dollars. eBay. eBay, pick yeah. a number. Some some fool will buy it. Yep. Unopened. Yeah. It's not crunched or anything. It's nice and square. No. And... Yeah. Still yeah. sealed by the looks of it too. It's not even got the plastic. Right. It's still got that new cartridge Actually, smell once you crack it open, right? It has. So. It has tape on the back because the thing they used to hang it on the uh, wall with evidently came off. Uh, right. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, does that conclude the updates and acquisitions portion of the show? I believe so. I believe so. Okay. Well, at least that way we were able to just talk a little bit before we rolled right into Game On Results. It's a great segment, but, you know, you got to build up to that, right? So... We are now at a crescendo, and we are ready for the great opus that is the Game On results with Canadian Retro Thinks. So uh, let's go ahead and switch gears there. Um, we're going to do a best of Coco Thoughts from the archive, and then we'll see how we did this week. Here we go, boys and girls. And thank you to Bruce for being here, and I can't wait to see this current production. Is there is there actually a best of? Oh, they're all. They're all hits. So oh. yes, man. And now, Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. Every time an MC-10 is lost, a door closes. All right, everybody, get ready for Game On Results with Canadian Retro Things, Ken Waters. How do we do this week, Ken? Welcome to the Coco Talk Game On Challenge of the Week results. This week we did things a little bit differently for the game Meyer Mare. We have two separate lists. 
The first one is for the people that completed the game, of which there were four. We had Sabhead with 690. Canadian Retro Things, 1120. Buck Owens, 1450. And the highest score for the completed games was... Ericomont with 2480. Nice. And now it's time to look at everybody's general scores. We had a total of 10 participants this week. We had David Craker with 30. Mr. Dave 6309, 370. Rich N, 440. Sabhead, 690. Canadian Retro Things, 1120. Gary M, 1140. Buck Owens, 1450. Jim Rye, 1970. Ericomont, 2480. And the highest score in the general scores category was Sloopy Malibu with 4,380. Thanks to everybody that played this week. We'll see you next week. Wow. What were the percentage signs next that to That was the... Uh, the percentage of uh, the game that you completed. So people with low percentages had higher scores. So I guess you can yes. just um, farm was, points out of the game? Yeah, or? you could just farm points and uh, okay. not try to complete the quest, which was a little weird. Okay. We, we kind of figured it out on the live uh, show that, uh, you know, it was you're either doing two things in the game. You're trying to complete it or you're trying to get points. Okay. So that's why I did the two lists. Neat, In retrospect, neat. I think maybe I, I should have weighted the scores by how much of the game you completed. Okay. Well, because, it's okay. Uh, yeah, one of the weird things about it was you never got any bonus for actually completing the game. As a matter of fact, uh, Sabhead, for some reason it said 99%, but he actually completed the game, did it with like 690 points, which was one of the lower scores. Wow. So it's almost like a speed run where you just kind of got yeah. in and got in and got out, right? So yeah. what is it, how do you win the game? What do you got to do? Uh, you got to uh, collect all the gems, take them, drop them into the volcano, and then uh, get out, get out to another part of the level or the screen and uh, walk into a big skull of a wolf's head. Okay. Of which I died <laughs> just before I entered it. <laughs> collect gems, throw gems in volcano, Enter giant wolf's head. Yep, exactly. Okay. And find water. And find and water. And find, find water while you're doing it. So uh, let's see. What am I looking for here? Um, I, I actually have something to share here. Where you should be able to, but I'll go ahead and stop. just to be No, I, I'm on it. I just can't see. The stuff I wanted to share seems to have disappeared mm. from my desktop. Weird. Uh, there it is. Have you tried switching it on and off again? I think I might. Oh, there we go. I didn't scroll. Mm. So if you downloaded the uh, big pack from um, the Dragon Archive, you would have gotten the instructions for this game, which made the game a little bit easier. Okay. So this is uh, so you actually know what you were doing. And the most important thing for actually completing the game was... It also came with a map, so you could actually see where everything was. The volcano you had to drop things into, the water you needed to survive, the keys, the gem bags, 
all of that. So, um, yeah, that was all. That's all included in the uh, big pack if you download it from the World of Dragon. Is that what they archive. call uh, number three? Is inside the volcano? Uh, number three inside. Yeah. So you go to this area here, the number two. Uh huh. And then uh, you have to throw a rope down into the volcano. Then you have to go down it and avoid all the bats or kill them. Then when you get to the bottom, you drop it into the lava. Don't know why you couldn't just throw it over the okay, side. Okay, and but... then box number four, the wolf sculpture. That's where you. That's where you go into. That's game where over. you have to go after you've dropped all three gems into the. Okay. Volcano. So. Interesting. Well, that map makes it kind of easy to. Yeah, it actually is a hundred times easier if you use the map instead of running uh, around aimlessly. Buck Owens did not know that uh, there was a map available, so he actually mapped out the whole thing and posted it on the Discord. So. Okay of where everything was and did anybody play it with the um msx2 16 calore mode or uh no there well at least i didn't see anybody playing it okay that. because but... you can emulate that in in mame and it's it's already built into the cocoa pie that um, machine configuration but you can make a really nice cocoa palette color by ah. changing it to green yeah then then you really feel like you're playing on a cocoa yeah right <laughs> Now, this had the newer engine that uh, Pear was quite right. impressed with. So what yeah. did you think of that, Ken, or anybody else on the panel that played it? I, I liked it. Um, it was a good 3D effect, being able to walk behind the stones and stuff. And, right. uh, you know, good music in this game. Obviously, got, there's no reviews in the old stuff because it was only made a couple of years ago. So, I got a question. Did anybody play the first version? And um, was it as interesting, or was it different? Or I, d I have not tried the first version yet. I saw it there, but I just didn't have time. What's the difference between the first version and this? Just the uh, the, the, the no idea the multi-layer effect or something? Or well, the 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 um, there's two of them. There's Meyer Mare, and then there's Meyer Mare Two in the downloads. So oh. th this is Meyer Mare Two. Oh, okay. So oh, I, I, not not a different version of this game, but a like the pre the prequel to this game or predecessor to this right. game. Okay, gotcha. I think so. I think it's smaller and okay. I don't know. It wouldn't have some of the special effects that are in here. Gotcha. Yeah. Like I, from what I remember Parrot saying in his post there, basically this has like a more advanced sound generation. It has layered tiles where you can go behind tiles as well as in front mm -hmm. or just hitting them, etc. So there's a few graphical effects added, sound effects are added. That's a neat so, looking door that you, you have to open. Mm-hmm. Do you guys uh, think that adding color to a game makes more exciting or, you know, is this kind of boring because of one color or once you get into it, you don't notice or what? I, I don't think it's necessary. It's an, it's an enhancement. It's an enhancement, but uh, like I'm more about the gameplay and stuff because I mean, for the first many years of using a computer i had a green screen on an apple too so yeah. i never had any color on it yeah, i had a black so. and white tv at the very beginning of my coco so i mean that's all yeah. i had to so, given the choice give me the resolution yeah and also you can get a nicer resolution definitely in uh the monochrome yeah. i mean some of the best classic coco games like dungeons and dagger are designed for mono too so i mean i think it depends on the game if, if you make a good game it doesn't matter if it's in color black and white if if you have a good game that's in black and white or color, color will enhance it. I think 
And the thing is with the AGD engine, the, the original Spectrum graphics are monochrome, and then they have these little 8 by 8 pixel tiles that you can define a foreground background color so you can change it in squares that's why you get all that color clash type thing on the original I wonder, spectrum i wonder what zero hour look like in black and white well if you've seen the death screen on it it's it's all red so that's kind of gives you a simulation right. and there are a lot of games out there that uh spent way too much time on the graphics and have really beautiful yeah, graphics yeah, yeah. That, that's a the game sucked gameplay <laughs> i mean that's that's a really good question ron and i and i get everybody will weigh in on their opinions and I think some of you have answered things that I would probably echo. I think gameplay, number one, a good game uh, is fun to play even if it has simplistic graphics. Like there's some really cool stuff that Jim Gary does on the MC-10 and semi-graphics and low res, right? So I think the gameplay and the game design are the most important elements. Uh, at that point, if the graphics look realistic or look cool or stylized, that's a bonus, um, and depending on the style, sometimes monochrome serves the game quite well. I think this game looks really good in just black and white. Um, would it look better in color? Uh, and at that point, I would say, well, it depends on what color they use. Because let's, let's look at some of the Coco P-Mode 3 screens with the, like the Puyan colors. Those have colors, but those colors in some cases make it worse, you know, depending on yeah. your preference. You know, so... <laughs> Um, I think I think that answer to that question is going to be in the eye of the beholder. But um, for me, a game is all about how fun is it to play, the gameplay, yeah. the game mechanics, the replay value, uh, the risk reward factor. Uh, visuals. Then there's many layers to the visuals. Is it good graphics in general? Does it have good color? Are there, you know, when I was a kid, the trifecta of a game would be okay. It's P mode four. It's got the artifact colors. It's a good playing, good paced arcade game, and it had some four voice music. You know, that was like everything you wanted in a good Coco game. It had the music, the sound, the graphics, the sound effects, the colors. That was like you know, those those were all the boxes you'd want to check off on a you know a triple A title for. A, What's this song? I want it all. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's there's um, an interesting wrinkle to this because I can remember back in the day you were using the screen as the data array, so it wasn't just what you wanted to see. It's how you needed to store your hit collision data and so forth that influenced what the display looked like because they were one and the same. Hmm. There, there wasn't a separate array where you stored the position of things you looked at the screen and if it was green you hit somebody <laughs> right did anyone do that or is that just me no nope. oh yeah just I checking for checking that. for the uh yeah you know, checking for a pixel state you know for collision detection right did i hit yeah. a color i, 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 I believe it? nick Morendi actually still uses that technique and in, in, even in his current games don't you nick what was that? I was sleeping. <laughs> well, yeah, we were talking about well-designed games. Nothing you know about, right? So <laughs> yeah, that's why you nodded off. Oh, we're talking about doing uh, collision detection using the colors of pixels rather than, uh, say, a state array or something. Oh, yeah, yeah, I do in some in instances. Yeah, Nick, here's a good question. Nick, would you would do a uh, black and white, um, you know, similar to this style? It would depend the on the game. Yeah, it depends. Like you say, it depends on the game. If it's a game that really relies on the gameplay more than anything, yeah, I'd consider that. But well, you, uh, you kind of have done uh, in the Model One games that you've done, right? Yeah. True. Yeah, they were all. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but in a color computer three, you have the color computer. 
Yeah, yeah, well, that's right. I, I don't believe in the false advertising. Here, color computer in right. black and white. Although these um, games were not originally designed on the color computer. They're originally no, specky Spectrum, games. Which, which had actually so. more colors. Is that the wolf's head thing right there? <laughs> oh, that's a cool graphic. Yeah, that's the wolf's head. Okay. There's some definitely good detailed graphics in this game. It's one yeah, of the better well, well designed. Yeah, uh, this good. one's a good one in, in, in black and white or black and green. Right. And has, any, has anybody talked to uh, Spectrum people that have seen us um, emulate their stuff? And what do they think? I haven't, though. A lot of people in the Eagles Discord, you know, are, are Spectrum users because they're from the UK. And that was one mm-hmm. of the most popular machines there. And a few, a couple of Mad Dragons back in the day. I guess I could um, actually. I do know a couple of people over in Europe that are also uh, Dragon or Cocoa users that are chiefly um, Spectrum users. I should get them to try these things and see what they yeah, think. That would be cool to get feedback. That's it, the other thing, like, too. Like with, with the Dragon, because it was PAL yeah. in the UK, you, you only had your choice of black and white near, or even in Australia for that matter. You didn't have color artifact colors and stuff. So you were kind of limited to what games you want to put in color. They'd have to be that green, blue, red, yellow, or cyan magenta buff quote unquote orange if you want to oh, color we, otherwise you had to use green and black or, or black and white we did have our color in the black and white as well but it was ugly strips of purple and green <laughs> that's why i didn't count that <laughs> yeah yeah that's where you turn the color down on the color tv mm-hmm. yeah uh, well, I'm glad we finally got around to playing one because I know we've been saying, hey, we should really play an AGD game on the challenge. And this is, you know, this is like a top tier AGD game. So why not kick that, kick off that platform with a good one? Um, you know, I wonder, I wonder how this would look. I have a um, old uh, IBM monochrome VGA monitor, <laughs> and uh, I have the um, thing that. Uh, I bought, you know, the, what was it called? <clears throat> the uh, Scooby-Doo, what is it? <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> I wonder how it would look, all grayscale. Hook it up and find out. You, I you think can... it would look pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, the graphics can... might be a little sharper than running it's, it through. Like it's every... really easy to put a monochrome composite monitor on a Coco 3. You know, just put it on that little uh, RCA jack in the back of a Coco 3. In fact, I'm, I remember there was a term for that. They actually call it the MoCo, the monochrome Coco, right? Because they, <laughs> they, uh, they thought that was better for 80 columns than Nitrous 9 and stuff. Or back then it was just OS 9, but yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, cool. And there's the end screen The when you beat it. Okay, congratulations. The curse has been vanished, vanquished, or vanished, I can't tell. Vanquished. Uh, vanquished. Meyer Mare is safe. Yeah, it's vanished. Quest completed. Okay, 100%. Uh, so there you see your percentage. So somebody completed it, but it didn't say 100%. It just said 99%. Yeah, for some reason, Sab had got 99%. Uh, you figures he maybe didn't pick something up or something like because he did the speed run on it. And then we so have. Do you, do you have any playing tips and stuff? Like I didn't get a chance to play. I okay, well, uh, obviously, if you want to get uh, points, you find a nice little spot to hide in, and then you can just sit there and just throw swords or, as Sloopy called them, plungers at the bad guys and keep killing them. <laughs> um, 
yeah, other than that, definitely uh, use the map if you want to complete the game. It makes it a hundred times easier. Yeah, you've been going through that with Gates of Delirium. Where, too, where did that yeah. nice full color map come from? Was that also in the zip file from the uh, archive? Yes. Okay. It was. Uh, it's included in the uh, um, the the big uh, in the AGD docs file. There's a bunch of instruction books and stuff in in there for a bunch of the games. So if you want to really get into playing a few of these, I would have uh, that file downloaded so that you can refer to it. Yeah, absolutely. Because some of the games are a little confusing. Now, was this a game that supported both keyboard and joystick? Yes. How was the play between using both methods? Um, I like the keyboard better myself because you could uh, do um, double key presses to go diagonally, which... Oh, you mean hold down know. two keys at once, like the down and right yeah. key? Okay. Yeah. So, you couldn't and do that in joystick? You could only. You could do that key. in the joystick, but I don't know. I was just having problems with the joystick. I don't know if it was my joystick or the game, but... I couldn't seem to maneuver my guy near as well as I could with the keyboard. So, plus you can redefine the keys to exactly what you want on the keyboard. So, I love it when a game allows you to do that. Because the reason I was asking is, I remember there was a post from Pair, the very first version of it. He uploaded. Apparently, the joystick actually wasn't working correctly. So, right, you could only uh, hit the fire button and go to the left. (laughs) (laughs) That was the only thing it could do with the um, the uh, joystick. So but he did repair that. Game? It'll work on any Coco. Oh, Actually, okay. Pear was saying that because um, I did talk to him about the uh, the RGB, the download, the um, boot file wasn't working on the Coco 3. And uh, he, he told me that uh, he hadn't actually thought that people with Coco 3s would even want to play these. So he never really tested it. Because so, when he made it, he made it in Coco 2 mode. So the RGB command was tokenized or whatever. Right. Yeah, it's just raw text. Yeah, which is the so, syntax there because it wouldn't so, um, try to. The Coco three, it. it wouldn't run it. It just kept giving an error. So, but it would it would be a it would be a syntax error on a Coco two, wouldn't it too? Because RGB is not. Well, really, no, okay. there was a there was a line that actually skipped um, that line. If you're oh oh okay, I see. So it did a peek to skip it, and then when it ran it because it wasn't tokenized, that's why it got the RGB. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, it's all making sense now. All right. Yeah, that was a change Para did in, in his uh, development tool system chain because he actually had it working, so it would code properly. Yeah. And then at some point, he changed it to well, generate the first half of the two. games that he released worked fine, and then the second half that you started getting the error. Yeah. But now, there's been a question from David Craker here about running it on a super sprite open plus board. Now, I'm trying to remember: does Meyer Mare actually have a super sprite version? Yeah, I yes, think it does. does. There's okay. a 16 color version, so it would it would look better. Um, you know, colored background, different colored characters. Possibly music. Possibly music too, and know. sound effects. So, yeah. Um, let so me it's... just, I'm going to quickly go online and see if I can find that. So, is it pretty tough looking on a um, Coco 2 on a TV 3 and 4? I mean, is it hard to look at? No, I didn't find it hard to look at. Okay. Um... <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, that's a mode that it's using was what the Coco 1 and 2 was designed for on a TV to look as clear as possible without color. So. I only thought that maybe you'd be getting a lot of interference and stuff, you know. <clears throat> and, oh, you probably get a bit of fringing, like a little bit of orange yeah. and blue in the edges of things. But right. there's a lot of solid white, solid black shapes, so it shouldn't be too bad. You might get a little bit of you know blue and red here and there, but. 
Mr. Dave is asking, has anyone seen Huggy McFlattery? Nope. Unless I've covered it on the show and just can't remember because there's no. 300 games to go through. So. All right. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this one wasn't uh, isn't for the FM board. I thought it was, but I don't see it in. Yeah, because I think there's only about a dozen out of the 300 plus games that have been converted over. I don't even think I... there's that many. This is probably a good game for uh, Patrick's board that you can switch on the back to a Coco Two layout. Oh, for the keyboard, yeah, yeah. the arrow keys. Yeah. How's that, Patrick? Shameful product placement, right there, right? Yeah, yeah, works good. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, I like. I, actually, this game works really well with having the cluster um, of the uh, arrow keys for uh, being able to go diagonally cool. and being able to fire and stuff with the other hand. And the other nice thing about AGD games, they usually let you redefine the key. So if you prefer yeah. a Coco 1-2 with the up and down arrows on the left, right, left arrows on the right hand side, which is what I grew up in and much more used to. Uh, even for diagonals, that I would probably you know redefine the keys to be I don't know QA and left right or something. Yeah, how many times do you find yourself trying to push a key because you're on a different machine and you're thinking, what am I doing? What am I doing? I'm on a three. I'm on a three, not a two. Well, I remember when the Coco three first came out, where the clear key was. Everybody hit that and would immediately t- screw up the line you were typing in and basically clear the screen. There was actually patches released on CompuServe to redefine the clear key to be whatever the key was that was supposed to be there yeah, on the Coco 1-2 level because yeah. so many people were hitting it. They basically disabled the clear key to change it to, to whatever the key on the Coco 1-2 key. I can't remember which one it was off the top of my head, but the light was. So yeah, some people did take well used to it. I know some games that were defined to have the arrows on the sides like Sea Dragon, um, Avenger... Uh, Phantom Slayer and a few others there took. I, I can't play them as well on a Coco 3 keyboard because that's just it's too much to do. Old cramp but, and but you hand. could with Patrick's board. Yeah, there you go. That's why I'm seriously considering <laughs> buying one of those if he has them in stock at the show. Coming to a Coco Fest near you. Hopefully, right. the Coco 2 version will be around uh, by then, too. Okay, do we want to talk about what... Did you find anything, Ken, that you were looking for? No, I, I was completely mistaken. This is not one of the games that is okay. uh, works on the Super Sprite FM board. Okay. So the ori- original game was for the Spectrum, not for the MSX. Right, right, right. right. Oh, well, that's why it won't work on the uh, Well, FM. no, but he has converted some of the games. They're converting the a lot. Of, uh, yeah. yeah. So, Ken, would we'll... there be reviews uh, on the Spectrum people's boards with of uh, this game original. well this is a fairly i it's, mean it was only made in 2017 so oh yeah um it's made with the agd engine which is adventure game design um which is uh an engine that uh is it makes it really easy to design adventure games on the spectrum as a matter of fact if you download the pack there's actually a lot of uh games in there that are school projects <clears throat> so to say like class xx whoever's class um year-end project and it's a game that they've made like a year or two ago right so yeah because this is like a a tool for people to like you know make their own games there's a lot of new games coming out for the spectrum and now for the coco because this tool exists now so which is kind of cool so there's a lot of new retro games that work on both the spectrum and the coco because we've got the 
um, yeah. interpreter, thanks to Paris. And, well, and there they, has been interpreters like this on the Cocoa way back in the day. Like Game Writer came out in 82 or 83, I think, and there was one or two others back then. But they were much more limited than the current AGD engine is capable of doing. So you could make a few little multi-screen games. I know Nick and I have actually looked at a few uh, that came with Game Writer, but they're, they're pretty simple compared to the AGD ones. So how do we consider these games? The AGD, ADG or whatever they're called, AGD. games, yeah. are, yeah. are they, um, they're not retro, but because they're new for us, but they're retro on theirs. Well, they're homebrew games. They're, yeah. They're, they're, they're still making them brand brews. new on the spectrum too. So yeah. I mean, you you can oh. get a game that was made in twenty twenty one. So you, you could ask the same question about one of Nick Morenti's games, like Zero Hour. What would you call that? I w- it's it's a new game for a vintage system. So is there a name for that? Is it a, is it still a retro game because it runs on retro? I guess what do you think, it's retro Nick? adjacent. <laughs> tell, us, tell us what you think, Nick. Oh, I'm not sure actually. Um, yeah, is it homebrew? I mean, what does homebrew really mean that's when you make your own beer a studio that's when you make your own beer at home right (laughs) it was homebrew when you got your 4k machine in 1980 (laughs) well i think a homebrew has to be uh made by a person marketed by that person sold by that person or given away by that person if you make it and have like some company selling it it's not homebrew anymore it's a commercial game that's what yeah, I guess so. So my stuff is homebrew, but it's also commercial. You could say. Come on, it's commercial. Yeah, because you're getting, you're getting the oh, disc right. cases and the jewel cases and stuff are manufactured on your behalf by another company. So yeah. Yeah. That's just I, a merch I, I, I think it. I think this is a lot of semantics and tomato yeah, tomato. Yeah, exactly. Uh, to me, a retro game is one of two things. It's running on real old hardware. Or it could be a game written on a new system that looks and feels and plays like an old game for old hardware. You know, so uh, I think retro is kind of the soul of the game, regardless if it's running on new hardware or old hardware. It kind of has that 2D, blocky, pixely kind of look and feel. Um, and to me, that's could you consider that... Minecraft like retro because it's kind of like primitive looking graphics, even though it's on a 3D plane? Uh, yeah, but not not like 8-bit retro. It's more like 16-bit retro. You know. Um, so this is like an 8-bit retro type game, but it's it's still being written on the old, you know, for the old processor to run on old hardware. So to me, that makes it a retro game because it's it's running on retro hardware. Yeah, my, my definition for me personally is that retro is, as you said, running on old hardware. It has to run on the old hardware, and uh, you have retro themed, I guess, or something like that would be making a modern game on a modern system, but kind of going old style. Right. I call it retro theme, not a okay. retro game per se, myself personally. But Is that where emulators come in? Mm. No, because an emulator is still no, running the old, an emulator is just running old hardware and software. But it's not, but it's not a, a, the latest machine you can buy. But it still has but, to re- represent the original hardware. Well, yeah. you, you yeah. could still write for a modern computer but if it's a style of game, is looks looks very retro. Um, yeah, I, I would call that a retro game because it's got that. It's like someone buying retro clothing. It's a new a new set of clothing that you buy or newly manufactured, but it's styled as if it was made back in whenever. Yep. Right. That's why I call that retro style. I don't call that retro. Right. That could uh, be a, so again, it's kind of in the it's in the eye of the beholder, I think. Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's that just could be a whole. It's just like the debate of uh, what what is retro. Like, how many years ago is retro, which is different for everybody? Because it's kind of funny. My uh, 
13 year old niece they're they're talking about being all retro and going back to doing the things they did when they were nine that's four years ago <laughs> it'd be a whole new style of thing though a, a uh, game written for strictly as you know coco code but running as fast as you could run a coco emulator on a modern pc mm-hmm. sort of a speed running thing you know, yeah, that's where the line blurs for me a little bit because it's it, you know this yeah. is kind of like on, uh, on the wording anyway it's kind of like classic cars when i had my 66 charger back in the day you know i i bought it i had it um it got rusty you know got rid of it and um you know you look back now and well why did you get rid of it and if you think about it you know there was large portions of rust <laughs> that were pretty bad and bred in the frame because back then we had salt on the roads, you know, in New York and in Toledo, Ohio, where you drove it. Mm-hmm. And they became useless because, you know, you, you can't really fix it. Now um, they're fixing it. They take, you know, a fully rusted out thing and fix it. Same with uh, PCs. Right. They're, um, you know, you're putting the same hardware in it. You're getting the same result. It's all brand new and it runs and sounds good. And uh, that's what our computers are doing. Right. Well, I mean, vintage car, that, that's a good example here. If you have a vintage car, but it's basically all you got left is the frame, and you've replaced it with a new engine and new seats and a new dash and everything else, is that a vintage car anymore? Yeah, it's they're selling, you know, you, you can get a 66 Charger uh, rear fender, brand new, you know, and tear the one you got off. New old stock. Well, this one on, and yeah, and yeah. it looks just like stock. You know what I mean? Yeah. Again, lines can get blurred, and is it in the eye of the beholder? And if, are you a purist? Are you an enthusiast? Is there a right or wrong? I guess it depends if you're the gatekeeper of a hobby or you're just a member of the hobby. But if you're just somebody who enjoys a hobby, I don't think there's a right or wrong. You know, like, uh, uh, I no. heard very <laughs> wise words one time when somebody said, there is no wrong way to cocoa. Oh, really? <laughs> that sounds you know like what's some... cool is if you have enough cocos, you can have uh, a radical one. That looks like um, Steggy's Black Beauty, right? And then you could have, you know, others that are, you know, completely stock or a completely stock 128, you know, and and then same with uh, Coco Twos and the original Cocos. You can have a 4K sitting at home and try firing that up and trying to find a program that'll run. <laughs> That's the yeah. fun part, because I don't think they're really labeled, are they? Yeah, and it's it's a blurred line too because I mean, like the Gimme X, for example, you're putting some more modern hardware into a machine oh, yeah. to boost the capability. But to be honest, we did that back in the day too. We just didn't have the technology to take it quite that far. We were, mm-hmm. you know, Tandy says five twelve k maximum RAM on a on Coco three or, or even on the original uh, C and D board Coco ones. It was max sixteen k of RAM period, and then people were hacking in thirty two. Then they hacked in sixty four. Then they hacked in one hundred twenty eight. We've been doing this the whole time. I mean, it's it's just like easier said, now no with wrong the modern hardware. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's just easier and cheaper now to do with modern, modern stuff. Right. You could have done it back then, but it would cost you like a thousand dollars to do the upgrade. Now it's like seventy bucks. Right. And and people look at a certain hobby a certain way, like classic cards. Some people might say, I only am interested in ones that are completely stock, completely original, all original parts from the original time frame. And if you replace anything, then you've defiled or distorted that vehicle, right? So yeah, well, they, um, they call some of that they call uh, resto mods. Resto, because like restoration. Restoring it, yeah. Modern, yeah. You know, yeah. And that's where everybody's different. Some people are collecting, 
Right. They want the original stock stuff because that's what they want to collect. Others are using them and they want to you know, push push the limits based on the original hardware design. Other people are doing it on the software side where they can overclock and do if, you know, if we had a basic that ran 100 times faster, what could I do with it? Right. So, I mean, there's various levels of it. It doesn't really matter in the broad scheme of things. Whatever you like doing, that's what you should do. That's in the eye of the beholder right there, right? You, how, how you want to you work your hobby is, is up to you, right? Collect here, examples of everything, keep them stocked, then get the uh, another copy of it and start modding get the, the Get heck the beaters, out of it. right? Get the beaters, right? Yeah. So get the beater machine that you can do whatever you want to. So that's that's my uh, my mantra. Is it always good also to get the box that came in and the re original receipt and everything? <laughs> I haven't seen any of of those for decades, so not even worried about it. Right. Sometimes it's nice to get them, and you can see, oh, this computer was bought at this store, and I used to shop at that store. Yeah, so yeah, I probably know the person that bought this. Right, because sometimes the name is on the receipt because that's what they did. Yeah. They got all your personal information, <laughs> yeah. name, address, one of my, phone number, social security number, date of birth, blood type, <laughs> mother's maiden yeah. name, <laughs> your passport, yeah. you know, whatever. I still have my original Sinclair ZX81. Yeah, yeah. When, you, when you think about it, buying a product at Radio Shack now was like filling out a security form. Like, hey, what city were you born in? Right? They were like right? Facebook. Where, where, did, you, where did you meet your, your spouse? What's your pet's name? <laughs> <laughs> I took all your information and then they sent you catalogs and flowers, yeah. just like Facebook giving you ads. Yeah. But they, but they oh. called me Pat Wilson and that worked for years and years. Mark Overholzer is holding up a ZX. Uh, yeah, this is my original ZX one. from April 1982. Uh, your original ZX. Yeah, and it's not every day you can look at a computer and say, man, this thing makes the MC10 look impressive, right? But those <laughs> yeah. things you do. Because when you set that thing next to the MC10, that's like a very thin wafer, right, compared to the I MC10. You can make a computer with four parts. <laughs> it's it's got I a would better be, wedge for doors. I would be uh, hesitant putting that in uh, holding a window. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the MC10 is more squarish and sturdy for the window. That's yeah, more right? like a door jam to hold the door open if it keeps swinging shut on you, I think. Yeah, it'll tip. <laughs> oh, Lord. The ZX81 was a pretty impressive little computer. I mean, this yeah. was a kit. It was $100 US. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it, it actually functioned. Right. Yeah, so the predecessor was 199 the ZX80, and that was dirt cheap for that time period because that was a year yep. earlier. My, yep. my previous when computer. I tried it, it had, it had a black and white screen, and it was very touchy with the keyboard. I mean, it, it didn't have, like, key bounce, but, you, you know, bam, bam, yeah. bam, third time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You really wanted the channel thirty six one because the display was nice. Yeah, it, and if the I, display yeah. is nice, then the rest of the computer is okay. I think the model of that, uh, the motto of that system was "spare all expense," right? So, worse than Tandy, right? So, <laughs> so that was yeah. I was gonna say that's actually worse than Tandy. Yeah, <laughs> spare all expense. Go as cheap as possible. Yeah, you so. know it said Timex on there, but there was no real time clock. Yeah, it did. It, it, <laughs> only the later one said Timex. Yeah, but but listen, hey. It keeps on ticking. It's we're still working, right? So, yeah, what's yeah. the deal on Timex? How did it get in there? Um, oh, yeah, American American name. Uh, Timex basically, made Timex. Them. Yeah, they had they actually Sinclair had Timex manufacture them, and so oh. originally they made them themselves. This one actually says "Made in England," whereas I have a bunch of the uh, Timex Sinclair one thousands, and uh, they're made a couple different places. Uh, the Ram packs, mm -hmm. I have some from Portugal and some from. Scotland and um, I think some from so, the U.S. So I believe you, the, 
if you lick that, it's going to keep ticking. Yeah. It takes <laughs> a ahead, lick and it keeps on ticking. Right? Ticks on, yeah. Takes Go ahead, a lick. Show it. Come on. Oh, I think Alan says it best in the chatter. He said someone out tandy tandy itself on that one. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, it's we like have to hold my beer. I can do that cheaper. Right. I believe we've diverged long enough. Uh, Mr. Things, you want to tell us what game we'll be playing next week? Well, certainly. Um, let's see if anybody can recognize this game. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, hey, is this Contras. the Contras? The Contras. Mm, that's exactly what it is. The Contras. It's like a boulder game. Coco 3, 512K, joysticks, two button, I believe, are pretty well necessary, I think. Uh, yeah. yeah, or and disc drive because it requires three discs. Yes, there's three discs. So this is a Coco Three game then. It this is, is an Coco interesting Three five hundred and twelve K. This is a a uh, interesting nineteen eighties uh, game because of what went on at the time. Yeah, there's a whole con long convolute. This game took multiple years to release. It had to go yeah. through a couple programmers. Doug Mastin's actually the the main author that started it. Is actually in our Discord on occasion too. So. Oh. Okay, there you go. So that's what we'll be playing next week. And just a reminder that there you have two weeks left to get zero hour before it'll be the game of the week, which will be the week of April 16th to the 23rd. And you can get a digital copy either way. You can just buy yeah, the digital you, straight up or buy the physical and get the digital right away so you don't have to worry yeah. about it being shipped to you. Exactly. So go to Nick's site and uh, buy that game. And uh, yeah, get your digital copy immediately. And Nick, I'll take that in Ferrari hubcaps, please. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Nick needs the exercise yeah. to keep walking out to that mailbox every day, picking up those checks. So but get, <laughs> buy, buy early, buy often. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, everyone gets the digital copy. That's right. Even if you order the CD, you get a digital as mm -hmm. well. Okay, we have a question from Kevin Holloway. Is it hard to replace the battery in that Timex? Is that a watch joke, or is there an actual battery in that com in that uh, computer too? There's no battery. Okay. Interestingly <laughs> enough, Timex is re is re-releasing their retro digital watches. That the the I think the model number is like Z80 or something like that. But there's the old like stainless steel wristband Timex, LCD style. LCD style, and there's even one that's got like a Space Invaders faceplate on it too. But so you can buy that old style Timex. Was it Timex that made the game watches? Um, not sure, but. That, uh, uh, Everybody had it in school, and you could hear. Beep, 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 oh beep. yeah, Casio had a bunch. Casio of had that. Casio, yeah. yeah and Casio. then uh, Frederick Provencia says, "I agree. There is no wrong way to Coco. If you're a collector and want the original hardware, that's fine. Just don't tell me I'm wrong if I'm interested in Cocoing differently." There you go. Don't. Yeah, I I completely agree, except that Frederick, the way you're doing it is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> hey, has anybody um, after 1985 found out? where Carmen is many times <laughs> I, I believe her and Waldo are both shacked up San somewhere Diego. so yeah <laughs> she's in one of those countries that no longer exists since that game was made yeah right <laughs> right right all right so next week game is the Contras and a very good very good game a hardware scrolling digital music digital sound effects it's a very close um facsimile the of the Nintendo version of the Contra game um, and uh, pretty good. Well, I think it, it goes quite differently in the later levels if I yeah, read that correctly does. on Curtis's website. 
Okay. Yeah, and it has an ending. You can actually win the game. Now there's there, a round pack, right? No, it's three no? floppies. No. no, it's three floppy disks. You have to load multiple floppies. There's no so, round pack. Nope. 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 If you're if you're if you're playing Contras on a ROM pack, you're doing it wrong, Ron. That that would be a wrong way to <laughs> the wrong way to Coco. <laughs> <laughs> I, was thinking, I was thinking of Rampage. Then. <laughs> yeah, right. I think you're thinking uh, of Robocop actually. And if okay. you're playing it on real hardware, the Coco SDC, remember to uh, load the directory, and then you can use the button on the Press side. Press the button to, to uh, switch load the discs. different discs. Control yeah. Control M or Shift M to mount the directory. Shift M yeah. to mount the directory, and then. You gotta tap the little. So the next disc hit the yeah. button. You'll see it flash once, twice, or three times, depending which disc number you're selecting. Now, wasn't that cool when we first did it? Yeah, and it still is. Pretty neat. Yeah. Yep. All right. So we have um, we have concluded the game on results. We've talked about the game of next week. We do have a few promo spots to run, and then we actually can... before you do that, I might as well get the game on news because it's only one story basically. One story of game on news. My lord, Curtis Boyle, please yeah. regale us with this news. Aside from all the other game on stuff like Bruce and everything else, so thought I'd just get those out of the way before we go on to the regular news. From around the world. News when you need it most. Hey, you guys seen that? Ooh, that is cool. So the uh, Japanese uh, people there that have their little site called Inufutu, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, Inufutu, uh, has got their new game called The Send coming out. And they've got, this is guys that do like 30 different platforms. Right. And starting just a couple of days ago, There's Coco the... and MC10 versions are both out. Beauty. Wow. So the Coco version requires 32K, and they got the cassette uh, version you can download here, the WAV file, and the MC10 requires 16K RAM expansion pack, or higher. And uh, I've actually got both videos queued up, and I thought I'd just play them so you can kind of see what the differences are. Um, but resolution's a bit higher than the Coco one. And this, uh, since it was the first one out, I'll play that one first. The Coco one game playing on a Coco three. Hey, OG Hugo, how are you? OG is one of our newest patrons. Thanks for becoming a patron, Hugo. Ascend. I like the font. Very. In. Looks like he's wearing a football helmet. Heck, oh, that's, that's really good animation. That's very much like in television. Oh, and the scrolling. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Keep those levels scrolling. Rawhide. All right, so it looks like he's pushing up that green thingy there. Yeah, basically, from what I can tell, the monsters have a set path they come down, and they'll go down ladders and stuff, so you kind of know where they're going to go, and you push these green gems up to block them off, basically. Okay. So that they can't get to you, and you kind of lock them off, and then you have to ascend, you know, a little bit of a scrolling screen to go up to the top. Oh, neat. The animation's really good. I mean, that's the Coco version, and then we'll compare it's with the It's almost got kind of like Panic. a uh, Apple Panic, Space Panic... Load runner. A little bit, but that pushing up the gem to block. Yeah, that yeah, was yeah. Cool. I've yeah. not seen that before. Exec on the MC10. And look, even the font. I like that font. It's a beauty, eh? You notice the uh, kind of hollowness of the sounds a little different, I guess, just on the. Yeah, uh, and the player looks a fair bit different. The monsters are pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, because this is one from P mode 3 to P mode 1, so you got le less yeah. resolution. Uh, but still, the, the, the soul of the game is there. Oh, that's a pretty righteous. 
Uh, absolutely. So it looks like they're always going to go down. When they see a ladder, they're going to drop. So they're, like you say, they're kind of predictable in that regard, right? So. Well, the round ones, yes. The other ones just go back and forth. Ah, beauty, eh? That's the ones you got to kind of block off. Yeah. Yeah, but still, even on the blockier graphics, the animation's really good. It's still kind of that Intellivision Running Man style animation there. And that little color baseball shades of right there, too, you know? Yep. Can you imagine having gotten this on the MC-10 back in the day? Holy crap. No. When it first came out? They would have sold the more MC-10 than four of them. Survived. Yeah, they might have sold more <laughs> than four units back then. They might have lasted more than a year in the store. Yeah. Yeah. That is a beauty, eh? So this, this is most pretty cool. And there's a, a news item coming up in the regular news, which I'll get to because it's, it's more about development stuff here. But um, on Atari Age, somebody posted that this was coming out. They saw that it had just came out for a bunch of the, the Japanese-based systems. Right. And he actually got links to the GitHub that actually contains the source code for this engine, what CPUs it supports. It's basically a C-style language, but not okay. quite C. It's kind of like CMOC in that way. And I'll get into some more details there, but it, it looks like what CPUs it's designed to handle, including 6809. Wow. And uh, some of the graphic engine stuff, there's old source codes there. So if you want to even get in, you know, possibly if you know Japanese, you might even be able to get involved with it if you wanted to. Think I'm but I like the fact they're doing these big, massive multi-platform ones so that every one of these 30-odd yeah. retro systems get these games. It's like a one and done. Yeah. So, anyway, those are both available for download. Uh, the links we've got uh, in the show notes on Discord. If anybody wanted to paste it on here, feel free. Uh, but you can download it right now for both Coco and the MC-10. What's neat is that you didn't have to know any English or anything or Japanese to play the game. No. Yeah, it's pretty simple. I mean, their their web page here. I mean, it'll say it's so, in so English. Stay on this page for a second. All right. Okay. So, so when we look at the top one, so this is now the question you had earlier, Ron. Do colors make the game yeah. better? Right. So you can see these ones here: black background, blue platforms, yellow ladders, different colored characters. Does that make it look better? Again, that's kind of in the eye of the beholder. Um, obviously, the there's more distinction in what things are, but. Does the Coco and MC10 version look worse um, for having less color? And my opinion is not necessarily. Or the different color sets like this one here, the PC8001MK yeah. right. Mark so. II. Like this one up here, the PC6001 looks like it's using a VDG. It's got yeah. the narrower bands and it's got the same right. color set as the MC10. Right, that Coco looks like 32. a VDG, exactly. Here's uh, one where they actually have you know, more text-based stuff. Flags. flags, yeah. There's a black and white one. Completely monochrome. So if the game is a fun game, then I think... Well, there's... Oh, look at that one there. On the MZ1500, the guy looks like he's got colored shirt and pants, too. He looks a little different, yep. right? So, Like here, the, the characters actually look more detailed in monochrome. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So higher res, less colored. And this is, uh, lower res. this is a much lower res one here. That's probably using character graphics. That's why. Yeah. Right? Like they did an interesting way of getting the player. Kind of like the, the uh, kind of like the pet ski, right? That's kind of what that yeah, reminds similar. me of there, right? And some, well, like a lot of these systems I've never heard of. Here's the Spectrum version, right? So, yeah, we're not going to get UK that back, machine. are we? <laughs> FM seven, which is another six eight zero nine based system. Right, lots of different, uh, yeah. And then as we, Junior, what is that? What's Junior? PC Junior. I'm or, not sure. Or JR. Might be. Or JR100. Oh, JR100, JR200. That must be a different platform then. Okay. I don't now know. Look at that black and white. It's a lot different. Yeah, that's like grayscale. Yeah. Yeah. So this one has the source links after the uh, cassette and wave, but they're actually linking the uh, sources for for them as well. 
Yeah, actually, still I was taking a look at some of the engine stuff there because it looks like they're yeah. making this. <clears throat> yeah, this looks this still looks really good, even on that one, the kind of grayscale one. Yep, that's cool. I, I like the cross-platform stuff. There's a couple cross-platform stories. This is one of them that we'll be covering in the regular news, but there's a, there's another one that's got a bit of an update too. So I'll, uh, we'll talk about that when we get to that. Anyway, that's that's all I had for the game on news because I knew like Bruce was going to be on to talk about his his stuff and. There's a lot of projects undergoing right now. I mean, Nick's working already on uh, trying out things for his next project. Uh, Jay and I are still working on Petski. I still got to get back to Liberation at some point. Uh, there's a ton of development going on. So for the game players out there, there's a lot of stuff still coming. On the horizon. Very, very that's, cool. That's All right. It. Well, we're going to take a brief commercial break and thank our patrons and whatnot. And then we'll be back with uh, Mikey Furman's favorite part of the show, the snoozy newsy. So we, well, let me go ahead and share. Sound. I like this one because he's on it. So. Oh. Ooh. <laughs> okay. All right. We'll be back after these words, kids. Hi, Retro Tech Kids. Data Soup here. You're watching Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer and proudly Patreon sponsored by RetroTechTime.com. thank our patrons who sponsor our program so our heartfelt gratitude goes out to alan huffman alan murphy blair ledoux boaton aaron brendan donahy brian weasler brian walsh karen anscom d bruce moore daddy burrito daniel williams diego eric canales glenn hewlett graham vebke grant leedy henry strickland jason downs jay style ken reichert malfunct Michael Pitsley, Michael Rayburn, OG Hugo, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Retro Tech Time, Rick Eulin, Rob Inman, Rocky Hill, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, Steve Rasmussen, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tim Thayer, Tom C, Tom Gunderson, Tom Heron, Tom S, Tony C, and William Athen. Thank you ever so much, patrons. It's time for everyone's favorite segment, Who's New to Discord This Week? Player. Manage. My name is Jonah, and I'm like trying to be into old computers. I hope to learn some things about retro computers. Sticks. Hey all, Paul here. I was given a Coco 1 as an 8-year-old in 1982, started basic, and assembly a couple of years later with a need for speed. Still have a soft spot for my first computer, dug it out and got a Coco SDC relatively recently. Doc underscore tree. Hey, I'm Deuce, I am into the Coco line from computers from the 80s. 
I try and learn all I can about these interesting machines that I did not get to use. I hope to achieve more knowledge with the Coco line and maybe even more, also to hang out and learn from others with more experience than me. The previous bios were edited for time's sake. Thanks to, Melly. Boysontech. Paul Fiscarelli. Eric Canales. The Glenside Color Computer Club. Terry Stage. And the Coca Talk patrons for boosting the server. Please consider joining Discord and visiting the welcome section to read these bios in full and see what the community has to offer. At discord.cocatalk.live. From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on news with El Curtis Boyle. And now a Muppet News Flash. All right, get caught up on news with L. Curtis Boyle. Okay, <clears throat> so the first one here is actually one of Ken Waters' videos here on Basic 9. He's doing part three, going through variables and loops. Um, and the main reason for that is that people that are only familiar with extended basic or color basic, etc., you only have two types of variables, string and a real floating point number. And loops, you basically got four next loops. So Ken kind of goes into all the additional stuff that's in uh, Basic 9. So I'll, I'll mute it here so we don't hear it. But Ken, do you want to just kind of describe what you went through here and what you discovered? Okay. Well, um, first off, I just was showing, as you said, the different kind of uh, variables you can use because they come in handy for the different types of loops that you use. And uh, yeah, then I just went through with uh, examples of uh, a bunch of the loops and um, also um, one of the interesting things is you can create your own uh, um, variable types here, um, combine different uh, um, like integers, real strings, booleans, all in one variable. So, yeah, for those for those of you that are familiar with like more modern languages, where you can do like <clears throat> a word dot a word, and it's you know the 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 main structure's name is the first part, and after the dot is like a sub part of the structure. That's kind of what the type and uh, dim type style uh, variables do here, which is actually typing in right now. So you can create like almost a record. Yeah. So if it, I'm using it as an example here. Like if you had a hotel, you could uh, do a booking for somebody with their name, the room that they're getting, their credit card number, all with different variable types, all within the same uh, variable, basically. Yeah. And that's one of the big strengths, I think. There's kind of a field command where you can do something a little bit similar in, in this basic, but it's it's nowhere near as powerful as this, where it's, quite frankly, it's easy to use. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, a, a really interesting thing for being able to do uh, different programs. And then here I'm just going through um, the different types of uh, loops. Yeah, so here you do like an if-then with go-tos and stuff, kind of the yeah. style for next loops, then you get into- The only change you have to make is the uh, adding the end if. And then you get into whiles and repeats. Yeah. Um, which are basically uh, the difference between a repeat and a while. One checks to see if you're, whatever you're going to use to exit if a variable is something. One checks at the beginning of the loop and one checks at the end. So the first case, it'll not even run the loop if that condition is met. And, exactly. Um, and the other one, it'll always do it at least once before it kicks out. And another thing that I do show in the video here is just how much faster um, basic 09 is if you use integers. Yeah, over if you can do numbers. that, definitely do it. It's a huge speed increase. Just on a little short program that I wrote there that does 500 calculations. 
I think it's more in the middle. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah, there we are. There we go. This integer speed test. Or... This is similar to what James Jones has been doing, too, showing yeah. some... Uh... Yeah. He stole the idea from me. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> and if you do nothing, you get reels, right? Yeah, Let's if see. you do nothing, you get real yeah. numbers. So you can see how much slower it took to run that re really short little program there. Yeah, I mean, that was done mainly for backwards compatibility. So if you define a variable name with a dollar sign at the end of it, it'll default to being a 32-character string. Mm -hmm. And if you just try to treat something as a numeric variable, it defaults to real, because that's what most basics did at the time. It's definitely worth your while, though, if you don't need to do that. Like, if you can fit it into a 16-bit integer, definitely it's integer, it's way faster. In fact, uh, if you go through the actual code of base command itself, it's got completely separate routines for a lot of math and a lot of the loop constructs for integers and reals like they have completely different routines they run for each it doesn't try to like mash it all together that's one of the reasons it's nice and fast and something i didn't put in the video that uh actually i think you you showed me the one time curtis was actually if even how what math operation you do here is uh faster mm -hmm. so i think what like is multiplying it? is uh, faster. for example or dividing is and if you have a six or nine some of those are even optimized again so you can even get faster yet so so I've, there's a lot more to do on that front yet. But there's only a few things that have been really done. Mm -hmm. And then, of yeah. course, the most interesting uh, loop statement that Basic09 has is the loop loop, which allows you to put the um, check anywhere within the uh, program. So you, yeah. uh, you can put the exit um, check anywhere within the program, beginning, middle, or end. And you can use multiple checks that the, it'll do different things for different results. Yeah. And one of the powerful things about that, the exit if, like if you see here, you can see loop. So inside the loop to end loop, it's always going to do x equals x plus 20 regardless. And then it has exit if x is greater than 26, then end that exit, which means once it hits 26, it'll go past the end loop. You can, as, as Ken mentioned, you can do this multiple times. You get multiple ways to get out. But in between the then exit, uh, the exit if and the end exit, you can actually put special code. So it'll actually run code yeah. for a certain exit condition. A if you yeah. just go forward a little bit, I did another example program that, so here. So it's got two exit if uh, statements in it and um, the one, they both uh, do print something just before they exit, so. And one actually doesn't exit, it just gives you a breakpoint in the middle of the program then goes back to the beginning of the loop again. Couple of comments here in, in the chat. Um, and Rick Bielen, who's actually on the panel, too, mentioned that it was you know originally Basecamp nine was the first project that Microware and, and Motorola worked on together. OS nine was created as a surrounding environment for Basecamp nine. Basecamp nine was actually the, the main one, and that was helped along with by Terry Ritter, who's one of the people that designed the six eight zero nine. They worked with Microware directly on on getting Basecamp nine written to show off the CPU that they were just about to bring out. So they're they're definitely kind of married at the hip type thing. That's a good tutorial video. James has been doing a lot of the uh, comparison videos between Disk Basic and, and Basic 9, either to show you alternative ways to do things and also to show the speed. Um, I, I know we covered one of his last week, the Civ of Arrest. I don't know how to pronounce this. Rest of these? Something like that. Uh, where we, he was running out of memory on the, on the Disk Basic side of things because of the fact that every number takes five bytes and has a huge array of 8,000 elements. You can't even fit that in Basic normally. So he was you know, putting them into strings and trying to poke them and do all kinds of things, trying to get around the limitations. Yeah, they're 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 good uh, videos. Just just really show 
how much more powerful basic 09 is than disk basic basic yeah and i might as well do a plug for the two of us too so if you're going to be at coco fest here in may we're actually the first seminar i think on saturday morning and we're doing i thought it was sunday morning was it sunday doing sunday morning well we have the you have the coco fest tabs up here we'll get to that shortly i was looking at it earlier today too um i think you guys are the let me see i'll pull it up real quick uh well, you're the first one listed as far as the speakers goes. Um, on I just couldn't remember if it's Saturday or Sunday were the first. I know I the first in the sent, morning. You sent me a note to say it was Sunday morning because I was saying that, uh, good, we get everybody when they're hungover. Yeah. As far as when you look under speakers, you're the first one listed for speakers. But I don't know if that maps to the schedule. Yeah. And I think that's uh, just in the order of when they came in or something when we submitted Okay. Them. Like okay. all the speakers are booked. They don't have all the speakers have a little write-up set because that's up to the speaker to send to Glenn's side to put on the site. So people are still working on those. But okay. I didn't want to mention we're going to be doing a base canine seminar. There's going to be three parts to it. There'll be Ken doing the first part, which this basically we're concentrating on graphic and enhancements in the GFX2 module and sound and a few other things too. But it's basically the GFX2 module to do graphics and sound, et cetera. Uh, we're concentrating on what has been added to it since Tandy released the original version back in 87. So this is all the enhancements that are in Nitrous 9. doesn't matter if you have a 6 and a 6 or a 9. This applies to both. Um, so Ken will be covering like the new graphic drawing commands and you know an easier way to do sound without having to do weird syscalls and a the few simple other stuff. I'll be I'll be doing the simple part. <laughs> and then I'll the be getting the understandable part. <laughs> yeah. And then, then I'll be <laughs> putting Nick to sleep right after that for uh, 20 minutes by uh, going into how to do the high-level menu handling, how to do drop-down menus and auto-follow mouse and all that kind of stuff. Will Nick, and then we'll the, uh, will, will Nick join us via Zoom to demonstrate how to use the trash can by any chance? Or, uh... <laughs> <laughs> lift, lift, <laughs> throw it all in the bin. <laughs> it's like shrimps in the barbie, except it's code in the trash. <laughs> But yeah, then the very last bit here, we're going to reserve 10, 15, 20 minutes roughly uh, for basically a general Q&A. Now, that doesn't have to strict stick with the actual topic of Basic 9 graphics module specifically, though it can. But if anybody has any other general Basic 9 or Nitrous 9 questions, they can feel free to ask during that. Let's Soldering say. tips? No, there won't be any. Well, actually, if Ken answers, maybe. I'm, yeah, I can, do, I can do some soldering tips. Okay. Yeah. My tip, don't do it. You can hurt yourself. That's my, <laughs> my tip, yeah. practice, practice, practice before you actually touch a real old machine. Right. <laughs> Roger that. Over. Anyway, so we'll see you guys all at the fest in that seminar if you're still awake by the end of it. Great. Oh, Got yeah. my hotel room booked. Yeah, same with me. Next step, uh, Ron Klein announced a MAME update to version 242 <clears throat> for the Cocoa Pie. Now, this actually, I think he's done two brief releases on this now too there's a little bit of a fix up now this features a test patch that is currently not part of the mainstream main build and this is done by tim linder now he wants some feedback on this and i was hoping maybe tim would be able to pop by to kind of explain in more detail but basically he's trying to tweak the emulation of the high-res joystick interface because there's some people i think roger hallman being one who was one of the co-authors of c3 pages back in the day a coco 3 desktop publishing tool uh that it's not quite smooth like chunks of it you can't get to and it's jittery and you know, whatever else there's some issues with the emulation here so that he did some updates here that are available for the latest coco pie build if you download that he would like to get some feedback try some programs it can be games it can be you know gooey stuff they can be graphic editors whatever that uses the high-res joystick interface the tandy one and see if you have any issues and then kind of report back to him i didn't know if he had anything specific he was trying to look for 
I was kind of hoping you'd be on, or at least in the chat, to be able to, to identify that. But uh, Ron Klein might know about that too, so you can ask him as well. Um, I'm assuming, Stevie, you probably haven't had time this week to try this out yourself. Negative, Ghost Rider. Yeah. I know a teeny bit about this because I lent uh, Tim Lindner my high res adapter for uh, testing. Okay, so what, what exactly is the issues you've been hitting with MAME? Do you know? Um, basically, the uh, MAME emulation doesn't cover the full range that the adapter puts out. I took my adapter up there last week and and he plugged it in and was running a test and uh, he's getting some really interesting wild plots, stuff that's way out of range. Actually, it's like negative numbers. Um, and so okay. basically, MAME, MAME adapter is not doing any of that. So somebody's taking advantage of some feature that's not being rep you know, reproduced correctly. So at least he has a baseline to work with now. So, Okay, cool. So I, I just want to chime in on this a little bit. So number one, hats off to Ron Klein for always being way, way, way on top of this. And um, and I think we're very lucky to have somebody like, I've mentioned this before, I called him Tenacious T, right? So Tim Lindner is in our community and he's really involved and concerned with how things are working. And, and, and I think to a degree, Barry Nelson shares those same concerns, but I actually brought up some questions on Facebook this week because Barry put a post in about his latest yeah, we'll be getting to that fork. Post okay, so maybe we'll talk about that too. And, and maybe I'll save that discussion for when we get to that article because I still don't understand it. And it's just one of those things, maybe we can agree to disagree, but some people will get on a certain soapbox and say, this is why they're doing it. I won't necessarily ever agree with that, but we're all entitled to the paths we choose in life, right? So, but um, one thing I will say about this, a uh, couple things. Number one, Ron Klein is badass for constantly doing this and updating this, and he's really in tune with everything that's happening and helping to push this and making it so user-friendly, especially if you have the Pi. You go to a menu, you hit update, you hit fix, and you just update your version. It's all so easy to do. So anybody who's struggling with emulating a color computer, the Cocoa Pi makes it easy if you know if you can follow the directions on the videos and ask the questions. Um, it's, it's really simple to do. Um, but to that end, the more we have these discussions about having to fix this in MAME and, you know, MAME's always changing and we're always having to fix. I like that we discover things that aren't emulated right and we get it to emulate right. But I'm becoming more and more of a fan of XROAR because XROAR is not going to be subject to the problems that MAME does because you have like multiple hands in that cookie jar. Right, so it's a single source code, a single author, and you can say, look, can you add this? Can you change this? Can you fix that? It'll get done, and it won't get broken every you know, six weeks when somebody else decides to change something else. So Yeah, they might be changing it for a completely different machine, but it's you know what I mean? So I, I, I understand the challenges of MAME being this big open source consortium that has to you know, serve multiple purposes. Uh, my school of thought is I would rather people focus on updating the main main distro than maintaining forks. That's just my, that's how, it, that's what makes sense to me. But um, the challenges that MAME has, I think, and, and the, the, um, the growth that XROAR is, is doing, I, I would love to see a day where we just have one emulator that emulates everything and does it well enough that we don't have to worry about multiple emulators, you know? So, uh, and I think yeah. that and there's still some favorites. I mean, BCC has some issues with some pieces of emulation, but it's also still even more than XROAR, the most user friendly. So, right, uh, right. Yeah, it would be nice to have one universal one that just is super easy to use, doesn't re it, it will allow you to use command line if that's what you want to use to mm -hmm. build scripts and stuff, or it can be completely GUI driven to get at everything. 
which you know, you know, X War has certain things you can only do from the command line. If you're not a command line person, you'll never right, use these. Right, 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 right. So, right. It's, fair uh, enough. Again, there's no wrong way to emulate either, but we're we're going to have our preferences, right? Yeah, exactly. Mame is really starting to sound like Debian. Where here comes all the distros, Ubuntu, and you know, what kind of Mame do you use? I use this kind of Mame. Well, Mame, Mame has a single use? central distro. It's just like, well, we'll get into it when we get well, to various, yeah. various story. Yeah, Ron, were you going to say something? Yeah, when you when you download this, <clears throat> are you automatically using the new package? No. So what? So you have to so you have to, you have to do three things. You first have to update from Git repo. You then yeah, have to, then that. you have to run the fix script. Done that. And then last but not least, you go into select um, MAME version, and then you'll see a list of all the various versions that are installed. Yeah, and I, you, I don't see that list on my. Uh, it's in one of the menus, and I don't remember what. If it, I don't know if it's in the administrator menu or the emulator menu, but the third step is to select that new version to make that the default active version. And and the nice thing about that is with the Cocoa Pie distribution, as we have these new updates. If you needed to roll back, you can just go to that menu and then change the default MAME you want to use. So you can actually, you know, kind of slide up and down the the ladder on on versions for stuff in in the Cocoa Pie. It makes it real easy to do if I haven't have to uninstall and reinstall and things like that. Uh, I don't remember exactly what menu that's in, but it's in one of those handful of videos that I did originally when we set up that new menu structure. Um, But off the top of my head, I don't know. If I find it again, I'll shoot you a message on Discord or something. You, you did a tutorial video on how to do this too, didn't you? I did. I just don't remember. <laughs> no, I'm just saying that you, if, if, if Ron can find yes. that video, he can actually just watch yeah. it. And it gives you step-by-step okay. step on screen. And, and, and there's, there's a, there's a much-needed um, video that I want to get with Ron Klein to do, which is basically using the Cocoa Pie as a development environment because there's so many tools on here for doing the cross-assembly using an editor. And you can write in BASIC, you can write in CMOC, you can write in assembly in an editor and have it create the disk image and pop up an emulator and test your source code all from that single desktop. So for those who don't know how to build a development environment and don't know how to write programs in BASIC on an editor and make it work in an emulator without having to worry about copying and pasting and L printing and all the stuff you have to do to get code in and out, there's a real easy way to cross-develop on a variety of languages that's all built into the Cocoa Pie. And I'd just love to do a real um, you know, high-level, simple way to show people what you can do with some of that kind of stuff. And then on top of that, which I don't know if we've officially um, announced this, but one of the things that's been in the Cocoa Pie for a long time now is QB64, which is a Quick Basic. And Ron put that in for me specifically because I'm working on a few projects in Quick Basic and I want to have Cocoa Pie versions that will run on the Pie. What we didn't realize initially was when he, because there was not a Pie um, binary f- available from the QB64 project. So Ron just took the source code and whatever the term is, you make it, you build it, you assemble it, whatever it is. So he just compiled the source code on the Pi and the, uh, the, 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 the program ran. But when it went to do its compilation, the actual binary files that it created were having issues because it was compiling to x86 versus ARM. And so Ron had to work with developers and stuff to get that fixed. So now QB64 actually works on the Cocoa Pie right on the desktop, and it's there. So if you don't want to do cross-assembly and write Cocoa Basic or Cocoa Assembly, you can just write Basic Basic on the Cocoa Pie in QB64 and write a program that will run super fast um, in Basic and have it run as an executable. So there's so much development goodies on there that we really haven't spent the time to 
demonstrate or illustrate yet that um, that's a project that's long, long overdue that I want to do some videos on that because it is just a cornucopia of development stuff that is there yeah. for those who want to. Because QB64 you have covered because you showed us your adventure game, you were doing in it, but I, you haven't covered anything on you know, how to use all these tools. And work yeah, it, yeah, 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 yeah. So anyways, I know I went really divergent there, but I, I just can't thank Ron enough because he just, he, he's a machine. Love that man. Ron Klein. Were you too, Ron Devo? I love you too. So yeah, I love so you, kind man. Of related, <laughs> kind of related. This John Murphy had a question because he was going through the release notes for this, uh, the latest versions of Mame here. Uh, this is concerning the official two four two, and there's a thing added note here about uh, added RSDOS and OS nine file systems to floppy controller cartridges by Nathan Woods, who's of course one of the original developers of Mame from right at the beginning. He was asking, what exactly is this? And then Tim Linder mentioned that like the image tool program that comes with it, um, you can create OS9 or you know, disk basic formatted disk images, but it just creates a raw blank. It makes the disk file. You still have to go into the emulated operating system of your choice and then format it in the correct one. And now it's actually got the ability that it'll create it pre-formatted for you. So that whole extra step is gone. You don't have to like create the disk file with image tool, launch MAME, Type disk in E0 to actually format it so you can actually use it for anything. It actually will do that for you on both formats. And I'm assuming they'll be probably fiddling this in for a lot of the other cross platforms that are in there as well. But that was kind of cool because I didn't realize that the latest version of Image Tool has that option. Because I've had to use Image Tool to create images and I always have to like launch OS 9 and mm. format it in there. I have to, you know, launch Cocoa 3 Basic and then disk in E0 it there. Now you don't have to do that. It's actually built right into the Image Tool itself. So that's also part of the new. Point two four two made as a new version of Image Tool. Hey, Coco Fest schedule. Uh, I was hoping Grant Lee would be here, but he's sick with a cold today. So um, this kind of goes into what's the general schedule here, and it basically just says you know presentation numbers. First presenter, second presenter, third. Yeah, so they don't have the names filled in yet, huh? Yeah. Well, that's a separate page. This is just the uh, the actual schedule when things are. Okay, hold on. Um, Tim Leonard just responded. Says that is a little inaccurate. This is not a change to image tool. That tool has always been able to create initialized disk images. The new thing is that you can create initialized images in Mame. Oh, okay. Thanks for the correction, Tim. And Tim, actually, if you want to pop on quickly, just talk about your high res. What you're actually looking for the high res interface testing for your custom version of Mame that's in Cocoa Pie. Please feel free to hop on for a few seconds. So yeah, this is just basically the general schedule. You'll notice we actually have breaks between some of the presentations here on some of the days here. Uh, like this one ends at nine and then at 9.30. So there's a little bit of break. I see some of them are still run together a little bit. So um, that's because we just got a lot of presentations. To be determined. Yeah. And then as far as the actual speakers, the, for people that have written up so far, they've published up here. So there's me and Ken here doing our little Base nine GFX two enhancements. The Coco Crew is having a general one here. Bruce Moore is having one on his new game system or game that he's doing. John Linville's doing a second seminar here, um, doing a technical overview of the hardware on the Coco One and Two platform, etc. So that's the ones that have been submitted so far. There's more of these coming. Each of the individual speakers has to submit this stuff to Grant and to Glenn's side, and they'll put them up as they get them. So I think we just did ours early this week too. So uh, we should all. There'll be more updates coming to this, and we'll try to highlight those as we go, so people know exactly what all the seminars are. Nice looking website. Thank you to Eric Canales. Yep. Will you guys be recording each of the different shows? That is to be determined. 
because I'm not sure if I can make it. I am, I am trying to advocate that the club has a dedicated person to do the AV and the streaming and the recording because, number one, I'm not sure I'm going to be there. Number two, I don't want to be a chain to... I don't want to be chained to a table streaming the entire week. I want to be selfish and enjoy a weekend for once. So <laughs> I want somebody else to stream it, and I don't know any of those logistics at this time, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to make it yet. So, um, But the plan would be to do that. Who's going to do it, how it's going to be done, are all to be determined. Yeah, I mean, people like Brian Schubring have done live streams themselves before, so maybe we just have them set their camera up in the seminar room or something like that. Right. We can, we'll make arrangements. We'll yeah. figure it out. Yeah. Man. Right. Next up, we've got a couple of videos here from Michael Furman. Oh, Mikey. Mikey, he likes it. So the first one is he did a video showing you how to run Nitrous 9 Ease of Use on the Glenside ID controller hard drive system in MAME, which is now emulated in there recently. Um, it's a little bit slower than doing the Cocoa SDC just because of the way the hardware worked. But he goes through the entire, you know, how to set it up and booting it up. I won't play the video here because it's, you know, 20 minutes long, but... If you're, if you're interested in on fiddling with this, and it also will make, make compatible images that you can actually copy to a real ID drive or vice versa, you know, in the other direction type thing. So you can run it on a real hardware if you happen to have a Glenside ID controller with real hard drives on it, or you can also run it now in main with the emulator. So he has a complete presentation on how to get all that set up. And then this was kind of mentioned by Ron. I can't remember if this was pre-show or during the beginning of the show here. Um, so the Southwest Technical Products Computer, SWTPC, was one of the earlier ones. This is like Terror era style stuff. And they did uh, a 6800, which of course is the predecessor to the 6809. Um, they made a 6800 based system. And that emulation is now in MAME too. Now this is a computer, as Ron had mentioned, it does not have a keyboard, it does not have a screen. It's basically just a big box with some chips in it. And basically you, you hooked up a serial port. So it actually runs an emulated terminal to log into this and they actually ran flex version two on it as well oh so it shows goodness. how to get all that shows how you get all this set up and you get to actually see on the terminal my goodness mikey he is an overachiever and he had to patch the bootloader so it actually would work and he was <laughs> all the technical <laughs> is, details hand assembling in the boot on this damn thing <laughs> oh my goodness that's some hardcore stuff there let's check the date Nineteen twenty. That was a great year. Nineteen twenty-two. Great year. Yeah, that was vintage. Oh yeah. For those of you who have not seen really Flex, though, this this is familiar. The plus 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 prompt, um, which is what they used. Same, you know, was it later used by Hayes for their modems to get uh, into command. Uh, yeah. We got was this that multitasking? Flex was not uh, multitasking. No, right? not multitasking, not multi-user. Now it did handle subdirectories if i remember which for you know the time like flex came out in the 70s so that's pretty early on um but it's fairly it's it's fairly powerful because it's like like os9 does you see the dot cmds and that's similar to cpm and dos you can create your own commands that you can add to the system Mm. so if you write your own command you just you make a dot command then you can run it anytime you want it's, it's not like you have to load M something and exec it. It's like these are all commands you just type like in Like if name. you wanted to do a, like a dir slash w, you could create a command called wdir that always did a wide directory yeah, listing or something exactly. like that, or a dir slash p. It's an extensible system. You can yeah. just create all these new executables and you just keep adding to the system as much as you want. And it had multiple, it had you know various languages or C compilers, there's assemblers, there's basic, there's TSC basic is a rather famous one. Um, 
There was even like simple games and stuff for I terminals. I mean, the so fact that this thing was working in 1922 is pretty impressive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Turn of the century operating system, you know. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if Germany had had this back in 22, they probably would have won the war, you know. So. That's pretty hardcore. That it's been in that not only is the machine being emulated, but he's emulating the serial terminal, and now he's doing this stuff in the terminal, and he's running the operating system. That's a pretty extensive. Yeah, hats off to you, Michael Furman. And for those who haven't been around the Coco long enough, in the early 80s, there was multiple versions of Flexibility for the Coco. There was Frank Hogg had one, Spectral Associates had one, TSC themselves had one, I believe, uh, running natively on the 32-column screen. Some of them did some graphic updates where they could you know, run a graphics screen and run 51 by 24 text or whatever. So this was the powerhouse operating system on the Coco from about 81-ish to about 83, 84, probably the most popular. OSN Level 1 came out, which you know, was multi-user, multitasking but it used a lot more of the RAM, so you couldn't make as bigger complex programs. And Frank Hogg rather famously said after it was out for about a year, he says, ah, I prefer working with Flex. So he kept supporting Flex. Once the Cocoa 3 came out, you had more RAM, bigger floppy drives, and windowing. That was the big crucial thing. Then he kind of dropped support for Flex completely. So Flex was much more common on the Cocoa 1 and 2 in the, in the you know, people that are the power users back in the day. Yeah, Tom Gunderson says this looks uh, similar to CPM as well, so yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're they're kind of, you know, they're on, they're on the same time frame here, because I, do you remember Flex, I think originally came out in 77? When we think about, like, you know, why did Tandy do that, and what could have, should have, would have, there were so many operating systems that could have taken off, like CPM. And this is one they looked at. Yeah. Um, Flex, CPM, these were all things that could have been MS-DOS, and somebody took a wrong turn somewhere, or in the case of Bill <laughs> Gates, they took a right turn somewhere. But, um, you know, MS-DOS became the predominant operating system. It wasn't necessarily the best, but it became the most widely adopted. Um, and the rest is history. Video I, the video I pointed you to, um, that guy said that the, the, the machine came out in 75. No, oh, uh, yeah, well, there's a couple of versions of that machine, Ron, so it depends on which one you're specifically yeah. looking at. So well, that particular yeah, one. The very first one was 75, you're right. I, I, I'm trying to remember, the one that he had in the video might have been the 77 model from what the ROM said, oh. I can't remember. But yeah, it's, I mean, this this is pre the microcomputer market. This is the hobbyist market when you were buying Altairs and that kind of stuff, like really early on. So this is before the Model 1, this is before the Apple II, and before the PET. Okay. And much more serious money. Oh yeah, big time. Yeah, seven eight hundred dollars to have a. For, for any of you those that are interested in this this early hard history using the Motorola chips in particular, the six eight hundred, six eight hundred nine later on, if you go on to the Internet Archive, there's scanned copies of six eight microjournal, which covers a lot of the stuff from the late seventies, and it actually covers the Cocoa and stuff later on too when you know it, it got popular. But it covers all these old you know SWTPC machines, smoke signal chieftains, gimmicks. You know, all the other ones that were using 6800, 6809 chips back in the day covers a lot of flex, covers a lot of OS9 from when that came out, or it's it had a predecessor to the 6800 that was called RTOS, real time operating system. So, if you want a, a history, and also it has ads for what the prices of all the hardware was back then, if you want to really blow your mind, you can go through and take a look at them. They're all archived on the uh, internet archive, so there's a ton of really cool history in there. Curtis, did you ever um, kind of want to have a uh, gimmicks machine? When it when it was, I would on have the loved to have a gimmicks machine, but they started at about three or four grand. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you could, you know, if you wanted a hard drive, bump it up to seven, eight thousand dollars type thing. Yeah. But I mean, like Frank Hogg had gimmicks that actually at Frank Hogg Labs. That's what they used internally uh, with Olsen Level Two when it first came out, and they, he just loved those machines. 
They were they were fast. They had extra hardware. They had you know hardware-based serial ports. They had you know memory protection and a bunch of other things we never did get on the Coco. So I mean, it was a really advanced machine, but it was more. I wouldn't even say business. It was almost like it was a Research. microcomputer pretending to be a mini. Is probably about as close yeah. as I could say. They always looked uh, mouth-watering. You know, you'd, you'd look at them and think, man. You know what would that be like to see live? Well, Stevie's actually seen them. They had one running at VCF VCF. Midwest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It made my it made my heart skip a beat. Yeah. (laughs) Was that? Did that have the S one hundred bus then? Uh, was it the S fifty or the one hundred? I can't remember. They had its own number. Okay, it had its own. There, there was some different number for sixty eight hundred nine bus computers. And I, I'm not pulling it up. Yeah, I, I have seen the gimmicks in person at I think the first Rainbow Fest I went to in '86. There's somebody There's had one set up, but I, I'm not. I can't say I'm familiar, super familiar with the machine except for reading magazines. So, was it yeah, what's like interesting S50 is fifty or something. Th- this machine didn't have a fan in it. Passive cooling. Yeah. Well, the Coco doesn't have a fan in it either, so. No. So if you had one of the old Dista 1 Meg 4 slots of chips on top of each other, you kind of needed one. Good job, Mikey. Yeah, so he's cranking out the content this week. SS50 Um, bus, Google says. Okay, it was a 50 instead of S100. Okay, next up we got Robert Galt. Uh, There's been, we covered this last week a bit too. Robert Sieg and Robert Galt have both been covering a lot of the uh, fiddling around with doing composite uh, you know, extended colors, uh, basically blurring the pixels together in different colors to get more colors on the screen than the mode is actually capable of doing normally. Sockmaster did has done some of this in the past too. So Robert Galt actually uploaded the disk image here to the Coco Facebook group for Symmetry, which is a little demo that actually does some of the uh, a- animated graphics. Where it basically, <clears throat> it's kind of like a kaleidoscope type thing where basically you you draw something and it goes into each quarter of the screen, kind of expanding patterns. So he's got the disk image here you can download for the Coco 3 that actually does it with the uh, artifact and graphics. And then he's actually got some demos here, the actual videos. Ah, shoot. Yeah, it looks very much like a kaleidoscope. Yeah. That's cool. I remember and seeing And then he did a second one with a slightly different style pattern, but slower, but a bit more intricate. Oh, yeah. It's a snowflake, eh? It's a beauty. Yeah. Doesn't really show off the you know, the, the composite colors as well as I'd hope, but I know, uh, <clears throat> and this is one I don't have anything to show you on in particular, but uh, Robert C has also been working with it a bit more and he found some issues with doing some vertical stuff. It's kind of doing weird things with the artifact colors that he's trying to maintain control of. And um, also he's had some issues with some of the compression routines that some of our graphic formats, like the before mentioned MG or CM3 for the Coco Max 3 people. Um, so he's actually working on a new algorithm that hopefully should fix the most of this. And I didn't have it ready as of this morning. So he said it's going to be upcoming. So I decided I'm not going to show the other sh- pictures he's done this past week. We'll show the after, uh, not the before. Exactly. Yeah. Because basically <laughs> it does look a little bit messy at this point. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. I saw it. But I, I see what the struggle is. But he yeah. is uh, actively working on a resolution. Next right. up, the Coca Crew released their latest monthly one, episode number 82. Show notes in here. You can come down and take a listen to it. I'll just highlight a couple of things that are mentioned on this particular episode. So there's a review of Zero Hour, which uh, I think Nick quite liked, uh, done by Mr. Neil. And there's a discussion on whether the Coco 3 is actually rare, 
which was a rather interesting discussion. Um, might touch on a little bit right out right right now to myself, and a tech discussion on MIDI and MIDI cabling, like how to build MIDI cables, what the MIDI standard is, kind of roughly how it works. It's more like a part one because MIDI is pretty expensive and still used today. Um, so the Coco Three thing, they were discussing the fact that the Coco Three prices have gone up, and they're wondering is it because the Coco Three is actually rare, or is it more just a perceived rarity, and that's what's shooting the prices up. And I mean, during the discussion, people had mentioned, you know, the Coco 2 was, there's a lot more of those around. I mean, so they're a lot easier to pick up uh, than the Coco 3. Personally, I, I wouldn't classify it as rare. I mean, there, there's well over a million made. There's, there's quite a few around. I, just that everybody seems to want them at the same time now. And a lot of people have bought multiple ones because they want to have backups. So they're a little bit rare as far as being able to pick them up, you know, off the cuff type thing is what I would say. I don't so know if you guys like have a supply and demand there. issue? Yeah, I think that's more of it. Because, I mean, well, actually, they mentioned one where somebody was selling a Coco 3 system on eBay. I think it had a floppy drives, a cassette deck, and a few bits of other bits. And it was $1,400 asking price. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, is, so <laughs> I mean, again, these are some things that are in the eye of the beholder. What is what is rare um, or, or is the availability to the average civilian scarce. So is there a scarcity of supply? But is it rare? You know, I mean, again, what's what's uh, yeah, supply uh, and demand. Right. Yeah. Now, now, Mark Siegel just says we sold many more Coco 3s than Coco 1s and 2s. So based on that statement, the the inventory should not be the issue. But how many are out there in the wild? How many are available? Uh, with you know the supply and demand so uh, is it mark, rare? mark if that is true then you guys must have restarted serial numbers periodically then because i found serial numbers on the coco 2 way higher than any coco 3 i've seen i've actually got a database i've been keeping track anytime mm. i see them on ebay so serious anyway, talk soulful discussions superior entertainment we got to come up with some taglines <laughs> superior <laughs> entertainment all right they should add modest yeah all right Curtis, that list would be interesting to look at yeah, I've been so, trying to keep track of Coco ones, twos, and threes. So, well, I think anybody who's trying to get a Coco three is probably struggling with number one finding the, uh, the availability, and number two finding the affordability. So, I, I think the latter is more important right now. There, you can find Coco threes on eBay, but they're three, four, five hundred dollars now just for a raw one twenty eight k, more than right. they cost in the first place. They, I, I think it's more than price for three or four hundred dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think it's not so much rarity. It is. I see a lot more Coco Two listings than I do Coco Threes, and from the serial numbers I've gone through, the Coco Two is sold at least two and a half to three million itself. And that once again, they could have restarted depending on country, whether it's NTSC or PAL, et cetera. I don't know, but uh, the prices of the Coco Threes have gone through the roof. I think that's more the main thing. People want to get a Coco Three, but are they willing to spend four hundred dollars for a one twenty eight k machine? They don't even know if it works. That's a different story. Right. <laughs> yeah, so, but most work. So Mark says serial numbers are phony. They are not serial numbers. Serial numbers were mostly phony, is what Mark Siegel was saying. So yeah, um, who the hell knows? That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's a number. <laughs> it's not serial. It's a number. What I do find interesting, though, is we spend uh, a fair amount of time discussing what these guys do on a monthly basis on our show. Yeah, well, it's the same. It's the same community, right? Well, mostly, no, it's it, no. you know, there's a lot of crossover on yeah. topics, etc. So, well, you know, I, I I didn't complete the second part of that statement. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> and I'm just saying, we mentioned what they do on their show on our show. Yep, we do. Okay. We're, we're we're the community 
Yes. Um, <laughs> the, community, the, the collaborative community that Bruce Moore yes, talked about, yes, that's, yes, that's where we come yeah. from. And that's all I'm saying. I'm just saying that on our show, we mention what they do on their show. Um, I'm trying to promote the cocoa regardless, so it yeah. doesn't matter to me where, where the news is coming from. So. And I just looked up on eBay. The only Cocoa 3 that I can see is a 128K for $635. Oh, Canadian. that's great. Um, sign me up for that. Is there a buy now button for that? <laughs> <laughs> there is, actually. It's, it's, it's not an auction. It's a buy yeah. now, $635. Hey, Ken, yeah? if, you, if you select on the searches uh, completed auctions, you can get a general idea of what the last yeah. ones have sold. Yeah. I'm just yeah. saying what they're, what they're, sell, what they're yeah. asking currently. for them right now. And what's currently available, yeah. Now, I will mention something they did mention when they were going through this discussion here, because they said, actually, that doesn't seem to be so rare, and they have found ones at decent prices, but they said eBay is not the place to look. They suggested going to local, more localized, like stuff like Kijiji up here in Canada. Facebook maybe, Marketplace, Craig, things like yeah, that. Yeah, Craigslist, whatever. Like, if you get something that's yeah. local in your community or local within your area, you can probably find them at decent prices. That eBay seems to be, like, the people that really want to rook you for money. Well, the thing is, on eBay, you'll go into advanced search, sold listings, and you'll sell it for whatever the last guy was able to get. And About so two. until <clears throat> until nobody can get that for a while, right. it's going to have that I mean, artificial the, the, high price. The value of something is what somebody's willing to pay. So while most of us here yeah. in the panel might not think a 128K Coco 3 is worth $600, if somebody wants one bad enough and that's their only choice and they're willing to pay for it, well, then it was worth $600 to them yeah. to have it, you know, so. One yeah. person in the millions on eBay bought one for 600 bucks, so now yeah. they're all worth 600 bucks for a while. Yeah. Back in the 90s and the 2000s, when I would look for uh, Cocos or whatever, I would notice that uh, some people, maybe ladies, I don't know, but they would they would uh, post the uh, the Cocoa as a, being a keyboard and thinking they don't know what it plugs into, so they can't tell you if it works or not. I've yeah. picked up a couple of VIC-20s that way. Yeah. For, like, really cheap. People are like, they're, they're keyboard. It's like a, like a keyboard off a of PC. That plugs into something. Yeah, Help. keyboard for old computer. Yeah, yeah that's a Mac. Vic twenty. That is the computer. Right. <laughs> right. All right. Yeah, I couldn't say that about the Sinclair ZX eighty one because that's not really a keyboard. Um, <laughs> so the uh, one thing I did want to point out, Dave and uh, Sharon, very uh, Dave six zero nine here in the chat mentioned that they are cheap in Montreal, and that's the one thing I wanted to mention that they kind of mentioned too is that it's also regional. Like there's certain places, like if you go into Quebec. Ontario and Dave, if you want to quote what some of the prices you've seen lately are in Quebec, because I know Neil Blanchard mentioned that he's been able to find ones in Ontario that are way cheaper than the eBay ones in the States. So it also seems to be where you are, you can get them much cheaper. Because he said, yeah, he's he's found Cocoa 3s there for like 120 bucks, 150 bucks. It's like, like modern, like now, not right. going back. Right, 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 right. So. I've been oh. looking up on um, Marketplace and they run about 300, 350. Yeah, there. and Neil's been finding for like 120 Canadian. Oh, I wish. Around so, here, if you're in Ontario, ago, apparently that's a good place to buy Cocoa Threes right now. Or a couple Quebec, of months maybe. ago, we had an I was uh, on an auction site here in Vancouver, and <clears throat> there was a Cocoa One, two Black Beauties, and two games. I think um, can't remember what they were, but uh, it was up for auction, and I dropped out of the bidding at 150 bucks. And it ended up going up. I think it sold for three hundred and seventy-five for a Coco One. They could didn't even say whether it was sixteen K, four K, what. It just yeah. And yeah, Dave mentioned here, he just came up, he said right now Coco threes in Quebec, hundred and twenty five bucks. Oh jeez, I'd so better now, send Dave some money to buy me some. Right? So now the um 
New York Times Coco 2 is going <laughs> to come into its own pretty soon. Because it's <laughs> yeah, for, pretty soon, the decade. normal Coco 2 is going to be up at that price, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's one of the reasons, like, we discussed this before about, um, you know, the fact that several people are working on replacement motherboards now for Coco 2s and Coco 3s. And then once these get done and they also have replacements for some of these rare chips, at least you can get something that functions exactly like one, but you don't have, hopefully, won't have to pay these extravagant, you know, collector's prices. You can actually just get a functional machine for the, you know, a new circuit right. board with a new 6309 and you know, a new salt chip replacement, whatever else. And then you can actually just, you know, get an affordable machine that is basically still the real hardware, even if it's using modern parts. Yeah, Mr. Dave says if you buy something on Kijiji, which is like Craigslist, they're usually not going to ship, so it's got to be like a local pickup. Yeah. So. Well, during the podcast, Neil mentioned that he had just picked up a Coco 3 when uh, Ian Maverick of Australia actually had been up in Ontario last week in the Niagara Falls area. I can't remember if he was on their business. He mentioned it. He was on the uh, trash talk on this last weekend, too, but uh, they actually went and went picked one up for quite cheap. Hmm. But anyway, it seems to be Quebec and Ontario, hotbeds for cheap cocoa. Yeah. So if you guys are looking for them, go up there. I'm just so grateful that I have what I have. You know, like I have two Cocoa 3s. I've got, you know, um, I got a, cocoa, a white Cocoa 1, which is one of the things I wanted in my collection. I got a, you know, a couple of Cocoa 2s, so I have a spare. You know, so I was able, when I was, when I was buying Cocoa 2s, you could get a, cocoa, a 64K Cocoa 2 on eBay for like 50, 60 bucks on average. And you can get those, you were able to get those things every single day. I mean, there was a time where I had a stack of a dozen Cocoa 2s in boxes, and I, you know, ended, ended up selling off half the crap I had because I just had so many of them, you know. <laughs> I mean, those days aren't here anymore. But, um, you know, again, it's kind of supply and demand. And, and the value is in the eye of the beholder and the perception of rarity or scarcity will affect that. And that's just like any market when you think about it, you know, that could be real estate or bonds or trades or, you know, stock market, you know, so what is something worth? Well, it's what people think it's worth or what people are willing to pay for it is what it's worth, you know, so value is so subjective and speculative, you know. And as Dave also mentioned, he has a rocky red Cocoa 3 motherboard from Pedro Payne. So. Ah, yeah. You know, and that's that's great that that's gonna that 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 it's happening. Where if you have an old machine you need to bring to life, you can switch out the main board. But then we've got into the questions about when is it retro, when is it still Coco? What happens if you get to the point now where you have to rebuild an entire Coco from scratch from all new stock, so a new motherboard and a new power supply and all the keyboard, the, and, new yeah. keyboard and new and, and the chips are still the same type of chips, but you've now built the hardware but you've built it with mostly 21st century parts is it still a retro machine i mean in my opinion yeah it's still a retro machine because it's running an 8-bit 16-bit processor you know if it's uh, running the old code it's, it's if it's, it's running the old processor and the old code then yeah it's still a retro machine um and, yeah. and that's true if it's still the silicon plastic 40 pin chip or if it's an fpa fpga version of that chip if it's still running that you know 8 16-bit cpu it's still a vintage system you know? And this is I where we get like, into uh, the collector versus actually being able to run something argument again, because collectors will want the original hardware. Right. But somebody that just wants a Coco 3 that functions, they can run all the old games with the joysticks they're used to, the keyboard style they're used to. These newer replacements kind of cover that base and make them affordable because it's, you know, $1,400 right. for an eBay auction for a Coco 3 is just ridiculous. I would like to say something from 35 years ago. Yeah. We fax. We fax. Oh, everybody take a drink. <laughs> and Ron said we fax. Take a drink. Um, but yeah, so you can get a new Coco 3 motherboard soon, thanks to Rocky Hill. You'll be able to get the Gimme X, which is the new um, enhanced, gimme, enhanced gimme. 
uh, which also has an, uh, an 8 meg board that comes with that. So you just need a handful of supporting chips and you can have a brand new Coker 3. Now, unfortunately, at new prices, you're still going to be looking at probably three to $400 for all the parts you need to put it together new. That's still but, half of what but that, but that is going for. But that is going to be brand new. Yeah, it's going to be yeah. brand new. You don't have to worry about old capacitors and things dying and you know sparks yeah. flying. And you're getting enhancements. You're getting all the backwards compatible Gimme X stuff, but you're also getting, like you right, said, right. and but, advanced graphics, et cetera, which... To buy it's an it. upgrade. Right, right. And awesome. and honestly, I, w- I would be okay with that. And I don't even need a 3D printed case to make it look like the old thing. Just give me a freaking USB keyboard and let me fire it up and I'll be a happy guy. You know, so yep. I don't need the old uh, plastic cases. Because to me, a 3D printed case just throws the price point out the window. If you're looking at $100 for the shell, it all goes in. And you already spent over $300 in parts for the guts. You know, now and we have 3D replacement cases now for like John Strong too. So. Right, but that's what I'm saying. But you're looking at 100 bucks yeah. for that case, easily. You know, so I would I would rather just have a. I, I wouldn't be surprised if that's the price of an empty shell case of the original on yeah. eBay these days. Yeah, I would be happy with just the board that worked. You know, and plug in just a USB keyboard. Just put it in an PC case. Yeah, repack it. Hey, that was the funny it's thing a back repack. in the 90s. That's what we all did. Yeah. <laughs> We purposely got rid of that Coke with three case because we I mean, wanted you, our multi-pack in there. And man, just go to the charity shop, pick up an old PC right. for like 15 bucks, and then I mean, you the could, you could You could find like a really commonly available form factor like mini ITX case that has all the outputs in the back and make it fit in that case. And the that's highlight, case. Ron, he's actually showing one of these. Oh, the look at that. Ron's got, is, that, is that one of Paul Barton's? Here, I'll, I'll stop sharing so you can you can share that for the people to see here who haven't seen these. So Rondo Bo's showing off a cocoa repack right there. You got the floppies in the case and ton of ribbon cables hanging down there. Yeah, yeah. I, I put a I put a black on both sides, top, and um, that was from um, Taylor. Um, what's Roger, Taylor? Roger, Roger Taylor. Roger Taylor. Okay, he that was his the, uh, Cocozilla. Yeah, and he, and he got to uh, sell it to um, Paul Barton. Paul, and then I got it from Paul. Wow. Yeah, and it works. It's up and running. That's yep. cool. There was a ton of these back in the 90s. This was hugely popular because people wanted their hard drives, their multi-pack, R32 packs, XT keyboard adapters, you know, everything. Like this one here has two five and a quarter inch drives plus a three and a half drive, which I'm assuming all work on the Coco just fine. He's yeah, got an but- XT keyboard coming out. It still uses a CM8 or Magnavox monitor, so it's still Coco compatible, but yep. you the, don't have um, a multi-pack hanging off the side that you jiggle the table and it suddenly crashes because the pins slid over. Yeah. The three and a half drive isn't in there. Was that Rick? I was going to say, I sold one of those for about 15 minutes back in the day. Coco repacks with the multi Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. He, he did. Well, a, lot, a lot of people did back then. I mean, there was a ton of stuff. Everybody was trying to get What's away the from the Coco case and the multi-pack dangling off the side. Wish <laughs> I had all those cases back. Yeah, I could sell them yeah. now for all these guys that want to make their shit. <laughs> the real right, problem would be when the, ex, when the older PC cases suddenly become rare and collectible and all of a sudden those will shoot up and then what right because right, you kind of need that old uh, xt power supply with the molex connectors and stuff to fire up those uh, floppy Did drives guys, and everything you guys ever watch uh lionix or linux the guy's name is lioness that's his Torvalds? name yeah he, yeah he made a um no this is not the originator of linux ltt yeah ltt he had a show where he he made a um cardboard uh case and put a PC in it and had it work. Huh? Yeah. Why not? 
pretty it's like the old wood grain ones like the original you don't have to worry about or... anything shorting out on that cardboard case if you get a solder <laughs> joint touching the bottom right so <laughs> frank swagger who did six more than six to eight micros actually had a wooden case portable version of his with a battery on it to run his cocoa portably too uh, i don't know if he still has that or not but that, to tell you the truth on the back of this um machine he used a block of wood and drilled um you know the four holes for the um the dim um, receptacles—they're on, they're on there. That oh, way. Okay. It's screwed onto the, and it's wood screwed onto the uh, metal of the case. Yep. And it there was worked. a lot of innovative, I'll say, yeah. cases back in the day. <clears throat> anyway, it's an interesting topic to discuss there, and I mean, we all have seen the prices have gone through the roof the last couple of years, and it's nice to see that we do have some alternatives that you know potentially can get the prices back down if you just want compatible hardware to run this stuff on. and uh, another good excuse to come to coco fest and try to get one in the auction for less than ebay yep. prices and support exactly. glenside yeah exactly i think sloopy got one for 20 bucks last year son of a bitch yep so <laughs> <laughs> yeah that turned a few heads <laughs> jason got one for five dollars all he had to do was get the soap powder out of it at vcf midwest you know so there are Actually, deals to Go ahead. Go ahead. So there are deals to be found. So. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to mention that one of the things that Neil and the Cocoa Crew mentioned during their discussion is that they had somebody that they knew that was giving a Cocoa 3 away. He was just going to say, whoever wants it, come get it. And fully working, tested. All right. So, I mean, if you know the right people and if you're in the right, you know, regional yeah. areas, I guess it's And, and what's probably not being talked about are the people who are hoarding. And, you know, that's okay. If you're a massive collector and you've got lots of units, that's fine. There's no crime. I mean, no wrong way to cocoa. But, you know, the people who are hoarding are contributing to the scarcity and rarity and perceived value of what is available in the wild, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. I figured that. That's why I've limited myself to two Cocoa 3s. I've got one with a Gimme X and one with the older style Gimme just for testing compatibility-wise. Yeah. Kind of need that. But uh, I, I don't have any plans to, unless something one of them dies or something. I don't plan on getting any more because I want other people to be able to experience it. Okay. OG Hugo says he has a Cocoa 2 he wants to donate. Yeah, reach out to Glenside. Just go to glensideccc.com, and they will take donations for the auction. They'll even pay for shipping if you can't make it to Cocoa Fest where you can, uh, they can have you ship something to them for the auction. Um, so if you want to donate, I'd say donate it to Glenside would be the best place to go there. All right, so what are we going to see about Erico? What's Erico doing here, Curtis? Well, Erico, and this is not too much of an update. He just said he's basically getting back into a coding project that he'd been working on. He's got a little screenshot of it here. And it, it's not really an update that explains what the project is he's working on. But he said something here that has hit me so many times the last few years. Um, trying to remember all variable relationships. Yeah, right. There goes a couple of days inserting it all back in the brain again. A reminder to never pause a project in the middle of a hard logic stage. Yeah. And I hit this all the damn time. So like I had to, I got busy with work for about five weeks straight. Didn't touch Petsky. It's taken me several days to kind of remember where the hell I was going with it, what I was doing. I'm going to be hitting that with Nitrous 9 again right away here too, the Nitrous 9 manual project, my liberation game. Like This just keeps happening over and over and over. So I definitely sympathize with this, as did some of the commenters. And I'm sure you've hit that yourself, Stevie, when you... Yeah, but the only thing I did, because rather than doing an actual paper notebook, which I know some people do, they write, I just did a notepad. So I have my, my source code is in a text file and a notepad and my all my comments... I keep my comments of all my variable names in routine areas. I just write up a little 
text file document in longhand explaining what everything does. And that's the only way I was able to go back to Cosmic Aliens after a year and a half hiatus was I had it. I, it wasn't like inline documentation because it's basic, but I had a separate companion um, yeah, file. And, and I'm doing and so that's just like, I've only done two or three projects, you know, in the past four or five years since I got back into it. And, and that's just been my method. Um, so. But it's just something that hit home with me because I've got so many projects on the go, and then you, I don't know my work schedule at all. It's basically yeah. just random when stuff comes in. So, you know, I'll, I'll get one job and I'll go, oh, okay, well, I'll take a, you know, get this job down, take me two days, and I'll be back in the project and it's still fresh in my mind. Then a bunch of other stuff comes in. Then it's like a month and a half later, I'm trying to get back to it. And even with written notes, I still have to like re go through the code because I might have been right in the literal middle of changing something. So the notes aren't accurate. Or whatever. Right. It's, it's just a, a schmozzy. And so I'm trying to see. Well, I'm, I can't figure out what editor he's using there, but he, you can see the syntax highlighting there, which is one nice thing about using a development uh, editor versus just a normal notepad. Um, it's kind of hard to see what that is. But when you it's have. using Adam, it looks like oh, Adam's Adam. an editor. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Adam editor, which also has a uh, Cocoa Basic highlighting syntax available. Okay. Cool. Cool. And then, like you said, Notepad notes here on what some of this stuff does. Yeah, yeah, that's that's how I had to do it. Well, my previous employer, you actually there was an official. I'm getting my head around it, which means no one can interrupt you for four hours because now you've loaded up all your short-term variables in your brain. Right. And you can write for a couple <laughs> hours, and if anyone interrupts you, all that stuff just. Falls on the floor right. and it's done. Yep. <laughs> I'm very familiar with that. That's. Yeah. Uh, Sort of like short-term Alzheimer's. Right. And don't make me spill my brain milk, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So so something that developers can relate to, right? Forgetting what... Oh, yeah, big time. And whether you're an assembly language developer, a C developer, a basic developer, it's the same. Struggle is real. You get interrupted. You get interrupted. You try to come back to it later on, like days or weeks later. I notice he's got a lot of shorthand in there. He's got the question mark at... Is also using some hex codes, so and h, um, which does speed certain things up. So I can see a yep. lot of the uh, optimizations and shorthand he's got in his uh, source, source code listing there. Yeah, and then he's got the uh, Cocoa emulator running the same code up in the corner. There, yeah. So. <sighs> Next up, Sheldon McDonald posted on the Facebook group, uh, the Cocoa Facebook group, that he has gotten his Sega Genesis gamepads working with the Cocoa PSG, which is Ed Snyder's, it's a sound and joystick card. And he's actually got it supporting up to all eight buttons at once here. So he's been kind of fiddling with it. These are little assembly language routines to be able to read all this stuff. So it's not something you can extend basic to, but you could run these little machine language bits. And I think some people in the Discord have actually gotten some of the code from him to test back and forth. And they're kind of you know, tweaking it to whatever. That's cool. But that means we'll have a, have a low-level driver people can then add to their own basic programs that they can run to support if somebody has a PSG and a, you know, control with more than two buttons, they can actually get up to an eight-button Cocoa game natively. That's neat. And that was one of the original things that the um, John Linville Sega Joypad adapter did offer. Um, Part of it was read through the joystick port and part of it was read through the serial port um, where you could get all the buttons from from two sets of Sega um, controllers. Yeah, and I think, uh, I don't have a PSG, so I don't know for sure, but the PSG, I believe, has its own little hardware and a separate connector for these or something? Uh, it has, well, it's a that's digital joystick interface, so it's got like two Atari-style connectors, uh, connections built into the card. The okay, AI. but it plugs in the cartridge slot and the ports come off that. Yeah, not... yeah, off okay. the, yeah. 
yeah, the, the chip he uses for his sound has two 8-bit ports, and so it just um, it hooks to the two uh, uh, DE9 connectors. So you can just write code. I know that actually um, uh, David Ladd actually wrote some code a couple of years ago when it first came out to try to read the uh, Sega-type pads. Okay. Next up we have uh, from Barry Nelson. This is going back to the topic we were talking about earlier about doing you know forks of the main code. Because uh, Barry basically released his own private fork here, which fixes sound in the Cooking for Games like Rampage Arc, and he also did some fixes for the Tier City Model 4 emulation to boot Model 4 discs. Um, and this is where Stevie got a you know, discussion with him about, you know, why not keep this in the main branch? Um, I'm kind of in between on the two because I've the, the problem with MAME, I mean, you can you can put your updates in to get the main branch. That is the ideal thing, to get it so that it's fixed everywhere. But the problem is, is that, you know, somebody else will come in later on a completely different system that, say, uses the VDG chip. This, you know, the Laser Z300 or whatever the heck, use the VDG chip, for example. Let's do something to fix that particular machine, not realizing that the way they implemented the fix is going to screw up something else. And because, as you said before, Steve, there's so many cooks stirring the pot here yeah, that, you know, yeah. people are breaking each other's stuff constantly. So I kind of with Barry at least somewhat on this of like make your own stable branch. It's slightly older version of MAME. It won't have all the newest cards. It would have like the Super Sprite FM Plus board and all this kind of stuff is not supporting this, but you know it works and you know it's not going to break on the next update. So I kind of understand where he's coming from, but eventually you should put those back into the main thing. It's kind of like yeah, we're doing with the 90s of use where we, once we have stuff stable, we send it back to the repository. Yeah, there's a problem though that uh, if you've seen the main dev community in action um, a lot of times any change that you want to make to uh, a given emulated computer also faces a huge uphill battle with gatekeepers who don't want a any particular change to be made and it doesn't matter how justified the change might be how much of a case you make there's people's opinions that just nah i don't like the way you coded it or i just don't feel like that should be made and then boom it just sits there dead. So maintaining your own fork does have the advantage of being, you know, king of your own kingdom in that when you want the change to get made, you can at least be sure it'll get made rather than having to fight that uphill battle. I've, I, just some of the stuff that I've seen over the years in the main dev community, you just kind of shake your head and wonder why do some of these people even do this stuff? Hmm. So. And, yeah, I mean, that's the problem. MAME, the MAME dev community, there's so many people working on MAME now that it's a bureaucracy. And you get all the entrails of bureaucracy in there, like all the delays and the red tape and gatekeepers and blah, blah, blah. There's all the whack of stuff that gets in there. So I, like I said, I understand why Barry did it this way, because at least he knows they're not going to break his code. He knows his code is stable. Um, but I like like Stevie said for the new user coming in, they don't know any of this. They don't know all the politics of it. And they're going, well, I download this. This works great. The next version comes out. All oh, right, this has got updates. Wait, this doesn't work anymore. Yeah, it's a moving target. There's there's not a, there's not a perfect answer, but you know, I I think you guys have have raised arguments for for both sides of that of that thing, right? The for the for and yeah. against. Um, I I was not aware of the uh, behind the scenes process because. I'm lucky to be spoiled by knowing a person named Tim Lindner. And I don't know what Tim has to go through or what he does, but I just know that he is like our, he's our champion and he typically makes things happen. So I, I, I don't doubt that that bureaucracy is there, but I have not heard it from Tim that he's ever had a hard time getting something pushed. 
um, because he is not, you know, on the outside. He's Tim, he's inside the the loop, I think. But yeah, and, Tim and Bernard both do great jobs on the uh, Coco and Dragon side of things, and uh, I think that after you've paid your dues and you've you know enough people that you know it becomes kind of de rigueur, and you don't notice that you're going through any particular hassle. It's just what you do. Yeah. Once they're familiar enough with you to, to to be quote unquote comfortable with your coding style that it fits theirs or whatever, then I think you're you can get through faster. I think is what I understood. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, Tim, you know, he's uh, he's been doing a lot of Mame updates and stuff lately, and I think all the the uh, you know trying to get people to approve stuff he submitted and stuff uh, he hasn't had time for a haircut in quite a while. Kind of. Tell ah. you <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so uh, the 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 ideal pie in the sky thing would be if we're gonna fix things and we're gonna patch things and correct things, let's just fix the main version so everybody benefits. That's the perfect uh, result. But in the real world, you know, you can't always do what seems to be the best thing for everyone. So um, you know, so what he's doing is great, and I think my only concern is that hey, if you don't know about this you know whatever uh for me i've i've never run into a meme situation where something hasn't worked for me uh, and but i'm not I doing weird I'm not, I'm not doing weird stuff i'm just trying to run a cartridge or a floppy disk or something like that you know i'm not trying to do a lot of crazy bleeding edge stuff i just want to play a game and i've never really run into too many problems just playing most games in Mame. um so i guess your mileage varies there uh, i i will once again say i, I continue to be impressed with xroar uh, I always liked XROAR when it was just Coco 1, 2, and Dragon, but now that it's doing Coco 3 and it's doing MC10. Um, and online. And online. Um, and I've asked this question years ago. we got so many different people. We have some people working on MAME. We have some people working on VCC. And then there's an OVCC. And then there's an XROAR. Um, you have all these efforts and all these things happening in different places. Um, again, this is the idealistic pie in the sky. What if we all just focused on one thing and made that the best it could be? It's, it's a great concept, but again, real world, is that possible? Uh, I, I think I, because the, the concept of what the best it can be differs between people, Yeah, that yeah, you'll never get a complete. Well, how about just being hardware accurate, cycle accurate, or anything you can do on real hardware, you can do on the emulator. That should be the goal, right? The, uh, the idea of the emulator is to do exactly what the hardware does. It shouldn't do and I, I think like MAME and XWord do that now. It's just like, what hardware are you supporting? What development environment? What option flags are you allowing you to set from the command well, line? Or what ones are you setting from within? And The thing about that everybody should uh, pitch into one is that you're welcome to. Most of these things are open source projects. Patches welcome. Right, right. Well, with XROAR, I don't think is XROAR is open source and you don't have to pay for it. But I don't think anybody can work on XROAR, can they? Or could you take your the source code and make your own fork of XROAR? Whatever you like. I mean, I, um, I don't think Karen has other people chip in on the development of it, though. It's not like there's a team working on XROAR, right? It's kind of his uh, baby. Actually, he's asked for for help on the user interface. Side. Oh, okay, okay, he has. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I, I know, and, and and no matter what, you could have three of the best emulators that were completely perfect and did everything right, and then there's still going to be people that are going to pick one over the other, and there's going to be, well, <laughs> you know, they're going to. It could be just what you're familiar with, like yeah, the first one you yeah. use and go, I'm used to this. I don't want to learn new keys. And my emulator's better than your emulator. And my emulator's dad can beat up your dad, you know, and you're going to get all that kind of stuff too. Well, so. And somebody might want to write an emulator to just know how it, how to do that. So then you end up with yet another one just because somebody wanted yeah, to Yeah, a proof of concept. Can I make an emulator? Yeah. Uh, 
Yeah, yeah. interesting topic. Never be solved. No, no. <laughs> but I'm just going to say it again. I'm becoming more and more of a fan of XROR. Plug for Yeah, Karen. I mean, XROR is rapidly becoming my favorite, too. There, there, there's a few minor changes I would make. I mean, one on the Mac, I, it, it does weird things with sound on occasion. Um, I'm not sure if that's on the other platforms as well. I haven't tried it. And um, he needs to add more stuff to the GUI that you can access that don't have to be accessed with the command line for the people that don't want to have to learn. And I think that might be where he's asking for help. For help, yeah. Yeah. Okay. One man can only do so much. Yeah. This next story here is a follow-up. So we covered the Backbit Pro cartridge probably a month or two ago from Evie's review. And this is a hardware cartridge that actually has interchangeable connectors so you can plug the same right. base cartridge into a ColecoVision and an Atari 8-bit and an Apple II and a Coco and whatever. Now, does now this cartridge the, require yeah. the Lux joystick to be upside down in order for it to work properly? I'll explain that in a minute. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so basically, she did this cartridge, but she thought that the Coco was basically cartridge-based games and some cassette games, probably looking through the catalog, and didn't think there was that much for disc not realizing that almost all of us use disk drive. So I actually gave her a comment, pointed to the archive. So she said, I had no idea. So she actually has gone through the last month, month and a half, and now added full disk support, read and write disk style images, okay. compatible with the stuff you get off the archive. So she actually goes through uh, and does kind of a review of this. Hey, what's up? And welcome to another episode of Evie's Review. So. What you see here... So I'll just pause there so you can kind of see what the support is now for the various machines now, and you'll see that the Tandy Color Computer 2 and 3 uh, mounts cartridges, level 2 loads programs, full disk support was not supported at first, and that has since changed. a list of adapters for the Backbit Pro cartridge and a list of the supported features. Now, I've just made one improvement. You can see that I've added full disk support for the Tandy color computer two and three and so the game you're seeing here this is Puyan. better sound chip on that version of Puyan than yeah I that's, that's interesting eh? <laughs> oh and uh, kevin holloway's pointing out that the pc jr is being used as a Thanks, monitor sir. stand so <laughs> good use for it <laughs> there was no mc10 around so <laughs> Anyway, here you can see sure. the interface. It's kind of like a poor man's at Coco SDC. Right, it's of, kind of like a GoTech style yeah. thing here. Um, okay, Seamus, Sandy. Yeah, but you can see that RGB she's gotten patch. a lot of the disk images now that she didn't even know existed before for testing and stuff now. Um, now, unfortunately, her Coco 3 that she's using this on does not even have 512K, so she can't play. Like, she wanted to try the Sierra games, for example, mm. and she just physically can't until she gets the upgrade. But Now, the joystick, I can't remember where she explained this. Seamus... Yeah, here. PC. Here. Oh, so it's a PC Junior stick. And so that way, this joystick can support the Tandy, the Apple II, and, and so that way, this are connected to ground on one side. Controls. If the, the other switch, if the buttons are. One switch controls if the buttons are activated high or low. And then the other switch controls if the potentiometers are connected to ground on one side. And so that way, this joystick can support the Tandy, the Apple II, and the PC Junior with the right adapter, of course. 
Now, Backbit supports full reading and writing of pretty much all files on the Tandy disk format. Anyway, I just wanted to, because she's got a couple switches added to that joystick, so it'll work on these various machines, but because of some of the differences, mm, it actually gotcha. plays backwards. I mean, Rick, you probably know more about the technicalities of what she's talking about there with the various way the button switches work, the way the pots work, etc. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. They put all the signals in there and then didn't use them on the PC, so... Yeah, add a couple switches, you can do all kinds of things. Yeah, because what you've been doing is you've been taking PC-based joysticks and fixing them to work on a Coco native, but they no longer work on the PC, correct? Right, right, because... Where she's tried to kind of different... hack it so it works on all these machines, though you have to hold it upside down if it's this machine and all these other weird things, but... Well, there's the connector issue, so in yeah. my case... I guess you could make a little, like she's making her, her SD card reader here so it has different plugs for the different cartridge slots you probably could do a multi-ended cable or a converter cable connector thingy to actually handle a few of the different formats there too i don't know how many there are but but we should do it the right way and make an adapter so the correct coco wiring fits the pc junior yeah okay. sorry for those that were interested in this product before we showed it but we're kind of missing the fact that there's no disk support just cassette that has been solved it does reading and writing it works with disk images the dsk format that we've used on emulators and on the coco sdc so that opens that up and if you have multiple retro platforms putting all the ones that were on that list earlier on in the video uh if you have any of these other ones you can get the one card solution and then you just have to swap the or get the uh, you know the connectors the card edge connectors that fit that particular slot and you can reuse the same hardware, so you don't have to buy multiple ones of these for each of your different systems. So yeah, that's if you're nice. on a budget. That's nice. but, and a lot of us do own more than one retro system, so this is one ring to rule them all, right? So it's kind of yeah. like a GoTech Castuino SDC all-in-one. Exactly. Yeah. Nice. It's a beauty. Yep. Although I do feel it has distorted the hobby a little bit, so I do take, um, <laughs> I do, I do take some umbrage with it. So, um, Cool. Yeah. Uh, next up, uh, this is also a revisited video. So we showed, I think, one or two weeks ago, there was a guy that had gotten a Coco 2 condition on, well, actually saying it was not functional. And then he tried swapping some RAM around and stuff, and, and then he couldn't quite figure out what was going on. So this is the fall where he actually does figure it out. And uh, it did turn out to be bad RAM. There was a stuck bit on one of the RAMs staying on all the time um, in the upper range of the bite. I find but a little I, I would... uh, WD-40 usually loosens those bits up. So. <laughs> Well, the fun, the, the fun thing for me here, because I'm not a hardware guy, I don't even know what a logic analyzer technically does. <laughs> you know, this is the first time I've actually seen one that actually understood exactly what it's doing here, because that's actually tracing the 6809 CPU to say what address is it currently at, what byte is it reading, what is it executing, and they actually got the color basic unraveled book from Spectral, and he shows like little clips of the code it's running through so you can figure out exactly where it's going. And they also found out like at the beginning of the video, now, Rick, you'll have to correct me because I can't remember which way is which, but the clocks are supposed to be for RAM refresh or RAM reading is on the rising edge or the trailing edge? The, the Coco is always backwards, so probably the trailing edge. Okay, because he did it the wrong way at first. And he, was, he, he did like a jump to subroutine in the ROM to clear the screen, like the 32-column screen. And it returned with completely wrong addresses on the, on the bus. And then he figured out later in the video that that, problem that we just mentioned there is that he's doing it was doing it the wrong way so he wasn't giving it enough time to actually settle the address on the bus so he actually did figure that out afterwards and that's when he finally discovered the stuck bit because he, he was trying to return to an address 
based on what it's pulling off the stack, but the values had changed. That one bit got stuck on when it wasn't supposed to be. So it was just crashing on some random thing. So long story short, it's a 20 minute video. And like I said, it was quite interesting. I've, I've never really fiddled with an analyzer because this actually would be a pretty decent thing for debugging machine language code if you didn't have like the MAME emulator type thing. I was gonna say, it almost sounds like the debugger for real hardware. Yeah, exactly. And you can yeah. like pause it, you can single step through it, you can do all kinds of things on here. So it's pretty cool. I should actually show you earlier in the video, he showed the mess of cables that's required to hook all this up, though. That would scare yeah. the hell out of me. Yep, tying, that's about right. Yeah, <laughs> tying all 40 pins and then all over, snaking all over the place into the plug-in to go into your analyzer. The extent you have to go to in order to get the data. It's like uh, going to the hospital, have like an EEG, an EKG, uh, you know, an MRI, all this stuff going on. <laughs> <laughs> and the machine that goes ping. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then you get all this hooked up and realize, oh, yeah, I've got to hit enter to start the program. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that did hit him, too. Because <laughs> he had taken the keyboard out already. Anyway, long story short, he figured out which RAM was bad. He replaced it. It works fine now. So that's cool. But that 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 shows if you, if somebody wants to learn, if they have an analogic analyzer and they want to learn how to debug these kind of things, he actually goes step by step and could do his own mistakes, which he did on the first video too. So it was it's pretty good because it shows you how to learn what you're doing, not just here's the correct way of doing it. All right. And you don't really understand the process. Now you will. Roger so, that. Very cool. Quite good. Next up, this is a channel I've not seen before. Now, this was originally live streamed on his Twitch channel, and now he's got the YouTube version of it up. And this is Tech Tangents 2. I'm not even sure exactly what the channel's entirely about. There seems to be some retro and some more modern stuff mixed. The, the basic premise of this one is he picked up an old Hitachi color TV. He went to a Goodwill, he was, you know, because he occasionally goes to buy stuff in this old CRT TV from 1985. Assumed to be working. And uh, they said, we can't sell this. You want it for free? And he went, sure. And he took it back home. And then he decided one of the machines he was going to test it with was a Coco One. Now, this is the 64K color computer from 1983 in the fall, which is the rarer of the ones there because it was only out for a brief bit for the Coco Two kind of took it over. So this is a full-size white case Coco One with a melted keyboard. Yep. And he, I uh, had that machine, and I have it again now. Love it. That's my Coco VGA uh, machine right there. Are you gonna plug it in, eh? He's he's a bit dramatic. I will say. Have to see, uh, aren't there just basically three to four cell phone providers use their own towers? Everyone else is using those towers. And he yeah. pays attention to live chat, which is kind of cool. And then here is kind of fiddling with the tint and the brightness yeah. and yeah. contrast. And... Now, one thing you you might experience this too, Stevie, is that his camera captures it, and it looks crappy, like you got all the snow on the sides, etc. He said it doesn't look that bad in real life, and then if he really dims it down so you can't barely see it in person, it shows up fine in the camera. Is that something you've experienced trying to film a screen? I don't typically film screens, so oh, okay. um, or at least CRTs. Anyways, I've had trouble trying to get CRTs. I, okay, like right now in that still that you just paused, that looks really good there. That's because he dimmed it way the hell down; okay. he can barely see it. Yeah, on the but like so, like now. right now, if you look at the. Um, I, I, it's not a CRT, but I've got a flat panel behind me, and it's just how the camera perceives light from a distance versus the foreground and background and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know the science behind how cameras see things, especially things that have their own light source and stuff like that. Um, 
But I know, like right now, when I, if I duck my head, you see this, the screen behind me looks kind of blurry. But if I had focused, if I zoom the camera in on that screen and there's no surrounding light, then the camera can focus in on those colors and you see them sharper. So I think yeah. it's kind of relative to the surrounding ambient light, how it can see a screen. This is my uneducated guess. You know? And that goes for focus, too. Like uh, yeah, the Ted yeah. and Amy show, the video they did this week was installing uh, a, a composite mod, basically, for the uh, Odyssey 2, the Magnavox Odyssey 2. And they were showing the little uh, board thing, and they would hold it up right in front of the camera. Of course, it focuses on them way behind, so it's a big blurry mess. And, and the, the trick they use is they put their hand behind it to kind of block the background, and then suddenly the camera laser sharp focuses. Right, right. right. I've had to do that too. And that's because the camera's on autofocus. And when it's on autofocus, it doesn't really know what we want it to see. Uh, or if you like, I'm right now on my webcam. And I've turned off autofocus for that very reason. Because remember, before when I was on Zoom, my my face would blur out because it might be something brighter behind me that the camera thinks, "Oh, I need to focus on that." You know, yeah. so your um, cameras can kind of get ADD with light sources. Um, and if you set it to manual focus, you can really force you know what it's going to see. Yeah. Anyway, I like this setup. I like the fact you used a, a one of the rare Coca ones. Yeah. Um, He's actually got a, a little camera that you can kind of see on the left there, right below the mic, that is on a retractable yeah. arm that he can focus right up to his kind screen right to the hardware. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I did something similar to this on a thing we did from looking at my Tandy 1000. I haven't published that video, but yeah, I like that whole idea of the multiple cameras. Yeah, so that's cool. And he, he does a bunch of retro, other retro stuff. This, this show, the first half is going through this TV and figuring out. Now, one thing they mentioned, uh, some people in the chat and him mentioned as well, um, he was surprised because, you know, basically the VHF frequency, there's no TV on that anymore. So he was surprised that he was still getting a fair bit of interference. And then some people mentioned a lot of the cell phone tower stuff, 4G and 5G is now using those old bandwidths oh, that the VHF used to use. Interesting. And that he th they think that's why you're still getting, you know, a lot of distortion and noise in the signal. Mm. For you hardware gurus that know this stuff a lot better than I do, does that sound legit? Channel 3 and 4 are a multiple of the Coco's clock. So it's a very bad place to put a computer signal. Channel 3 and 4 are just wrong. Anywhere okay, but, else it would be clean. But originally, I remember when, when, when they shut down analog TV, people said that their screens got better because now right. all the you know interference from you know TV signals was gone. But now no, that all really. the newer towers for cell phones are reusing those signals, it sounds like the problem's coming Maybe. back. No, because the the new cell phone stuff is up in the 600 megahertz range. So uh, um, okay, so they're wrong. Ago, years, mentioned that. Well, yeah, UHF used to go pretty high, like what channel 83, and so like the 700 megahertz range got reassigned to various things like cell phones, and then the last one a couple of years ago was 600 megahertz because okay. I've had to work with places with audio equipment that was in the wrong range. We had to get rid of it and get stuff at a lower frequency. So okay. Yeah, and then but say UHF or VHF, uh, your channels two through six and then seven through thirteen, they're still being used. But when they went digital, they basically compress more data into the same bandwidth, and that's why you can get four HD channels in that same range that was one analog channel. Yeah, but now so the, the newer the digital. newer HD ones, they're much lim more limited on range, though. Like you can't broadcast as far as the old. Uh, actually, they should be more tolerant because they're digital now. When my ex-wife first moved into her house 10 years ago, I had noticed it was really weird that her TV, like some of the channels didn't work. And then I realized, oh, only the analog portions did. So it's like the analog See, I had the opposite problem here. Work. The analog ones still worked when they did the simulcast, mm. but the digital ones, 
I had to get the right day with the right phase of the moon to get it to come in. Because if you lose yeah. any data on the digital signal, because it's all compressed, it just disappears. Yeah. Actually, actually, there's a threshold because what I found is that all the analog channels were really fuzzy, snowy, but all the digital ones were excellent. I realized the cable in the back of the TV wasn't tight. After I tightened it down, then the analog ones worked again. So obviously the digital has some sort of threshold that can accept a certain amount of signal loss and still be able to decode it. Because hmm. most people I've talked to that you know live in like say San Francisco or something like that, they can go out like 20 miles and then they lose all digital, but they can go out like 60 miles and still get analog. It hmm. might get a little bit fuzzy, but at least you can still pick something up. So, yeah. Hmm. And uh, that's cool though. Yeah, that was an interesting one on a channel I've never seen before. So. Next up, now we're talking about uh, cross-platform development like the AGD session. This is an alternative to that. Uh, Fabrizio Caruso, we've covered before because he's done a, he's got a, his own internal cross-library that he's got that's basically almost like a text character cell-based type thing. And he's got it for, I think, 30-plus platforms himself. And he was trying to figure out how to do sound properly for the MC10 because he's actually adding MC10 support to his engine so he can get some of those games ported over too. And he had posted a question about, well, how do I get this to work properly for what he wanted to do? And then he actually got some help from people like Greg Dion and others. And uh, he's got that problem solved. So that's now implemented into his library. I think this is also a universally free, feel free to access and write your own stuff in it too. And it's kind of C based too, I think, I believe. So now there's a couple of cross-platform engines. There's the one from the Japanese guys, and there's also the one here from Fabrizio. And I know he's released a few games. We covered these like in the last couple of years on the Coco side of things, but now it looks like there's some MC10 stuff will be coming down the pike too. So MC10 is getting some more, you know, semi-compiled love here for games and stuff. Yay, MC10. Now, uh, this is to follow up. I think Alan had mentioned this too, but um, the J Japanese engine in, I can't remember how to pronounce it, but anyway, in Inufuto, <clears throat> this is kind of some specs on it and you can go onto their GitHub and they've got source code for all this stuff, the different CPUs you can see they support Z80, 6800, 6809, 6502 there's different graphics chip they support, etc and what's different with C so this is kind of like CMOC, it's, it's mostly C but it's a little bit different in certain spots um, and then they kind of go through some other stuff and you go to the actual GitHub now Alan, I think you've probably looked at this through a lot more than I have. Is there any particular things that really stuck out at you with that you would want to mention? Uh, he's got a tools page there on the Inafuto site as well that um, has some additional dive, no, not on the GitHub. So oh. there's a tools page um, that has, that, and I posted the link in the chat earlier, but it had some things like diagrams for the Kate um, compiler and things like that. So uh, yeah, there's more of this is coming to light, but that Atari H thread really did kind of bring it all out to the front. It's great stuff. Yeah, because we were kind of speculating wildly like where all this stuff had suddenly come from, and it sounds like it's been there for a while, and it's it's public. You can go in and fiddle with it yourself too. So anyway, lots lots of opportunities for game developers here. Anyway, and you mentioned Dino Sprite. That's a Google three graphics and sound library too that we've shown on the show before. Yeah, Dino Jamie. Sprite. Yeah, Dino Sprite, no doubt. So, and that uh, one Space Invader game uh, we did that Jamie one, Cho. Jamie Cho, Jamie Cho, yeah, yeah. It was done using that. Now onto a little bit of Dragon-related stuff. So Julian Brown posted he's been working on these uh, RAM upgrade cards, kind of like daughter cards for the Dragon Thirty Two, and uh, he just got a second batch of boards here. He's figured out he's probably got a couple more minor tweaks, but it's pretty well getting close to working. 
One nice thing about these is that it doesn't require just the 4164 chips the original one used. This will allow you to use different kinds of chips. You can just mix, you know, mix and match, or not mix and match, but pick what kind you want. Like this will support 4164s, 4126s, which are a bit more common because they came in the original IBM PCs. <clears throat> so basically it gives you some options of using different chips to do the same RAM upgrade that is compatible. Um, so this is his uh, second batch of boards here. Let's just zoom it up a little bit. Well, like I said, he's got a few little tweaks he wants to do before he goes to final manufacturing, but uh, it'll give you more options for getting RAM. You don't have to find, you know, just get the 4164s, which are getting a little bit more rare to find these days, especially if you want, you know, fairly new ones or guaranteed ones type things. So. Is there a picture at the bottom of that? I'm just wondering how that taps in. Is it just like, like just sock it Unfortunately, into... Unfortunately, this this is the only picture he's got in this particular okay. post. So I'm imagining this... once he gets the final version. He'll... I'm kind of imagining that little thing on the edge there would be what goes down into the motherboard. And this is a riser above that. And you just put all the chips into this and maybe it feeds it into the system through that. Uh, I'm not sure how, yeah, how the actual data is getting its way back to the system board. You know. Yeah, I can't remember his older photos that we showed when he first started prototyping this. Um, if that actually have that in there but I'll, I'll keep following up with him on this because he's uh that has a high, like has a higher pin density it seems like there too on the edge you know so not sure though yeah and some of that might be due to the alternate ram chip maybe you just need one 4126 you plop it in that's the whole thing or something i'm not sure how that mm. exactly works i'm kind of waiting for his final version because he does plan to actually sell a few of these in the future and then release you know how to make it and then the last dragon one here this is an update from John Whitworth creating to create the uh, recreate the Dragon Professional, the uh, dual CPU MMU based OS nine level two. You know the monster machine they were working on had prototypes done, and he's been recreating the motherboard. He's been you know doing fixes. There were some issues on the original motherboard. Certain things actually did not work that he had to tweak. So he's got some photos of various things here. Him and a couple people, Phil Harvey Smith's also greatly involved in this. In fact, I think Phil has gotten a bunch of add-on card boards redone from the original including a ps and it's new ones too a ps2 to dragon beta keyboard interface you can use a ps2 keyboard on it uh static ram replacement board 26 to 34 watt floppy interface board and a 512k expansion card um, but i thought i'd just show it like right now he doesn't have a keyboard plugged into it in this case here he just was trying to get the main board going so this is running through the boot rom booting almost nine level two um from the uh prototype of the new prototype of the dragon professional os9 is loading Ooh, listen to that sound almost sounds like a heavy metal song a floppy drive going This is a Dragon 128 version of the OS9 uh, booting, but uh, so this isn't the OS9 that supports the multi CPUs and stuff yet, but it's enough to get it up and running. And it kicked into 80 column. Now, is this Y2K compliant? Probably not. <laughs> I know we had to patch. <laughs> that is so cool. This would have been though. like 1984, so probably right, not that. Right. 1983, what it says on the copyright there. Uh, since so. he didn't have a keyboard, he actually just ended up, you know, so this is basically. this is the Dragon Beta board that's now booting. Yes. Okay, that's cool. Yep, and he's got some pictures I think um, down here because they've been working on getting some other stuff, and he actually got it up and running here using a primitive keyboard. He kind of hacked into it, so here he's actually booted up, typed in the date. 
Um, then an M3 showing that he's got a basically a 204k system here. Yeah, another one. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Doing a dir, doing an M dir, and stuff like that. So it's, uh, and he, these here are the actually the original copies of the files <clears throat> from the Dragon professionals beta discs they use internally at Dragon. So you can see the dates they were last working on it. And Dragon eighty three and eighty four. Wow. Yeah, June of eighty four is when the Dragon basically Dragon data basically shut down. So these were done right up to the last. Up to minute. the last minute, they were working on this. The, Which shows you how quick and sudden the, the whole shutdown happened. Yeah. So a little amazing. bit of history there, too. <clears throat> and he has a comment here on the right. <clears throat> it said, mind you, the boot ROM has a date of a couple weeks later. So it's the June 15th. That's what was written 84. on the last flashed ROM for the boot. So. Yeah. What is that all about? Uh, <laughs> and by the way, so you, it's I, good to see he's got it up and running. You can type. like it's, The standard OS 9 level 2 is running. It's not the multi-CPU version of it yet or anything, but uh, it, it's showing the hardware is booting properly. Yeah. <clears throat> it's talking to the serial port properly. It's talking to the keyboard properly, et cetera. So really cool to see. Get and a, that's it for the news today. Get a drink, Curtis. Get a drink. Um, so we've had multiple David Ladd sightings. He showed up in the panel. He showed up as David Ladd and Paco Atakte in the chat. So everybody, let's say hi to David Ladd. Hi, David. Hey, Dave. Hey. Good day, everyone. Ooh, David Ladd is here, everybody. Oh, Dave. Sorry so David, I'm late. I uh, uh, didn't fall asleep until 8 a.m., so. But you, you got in here early enough to hear the floppy drives going on that last story? Oh, yes. Actually, I happened to start the, uh, to review the the show when I was getting up when you was talking about MAME. <laughs> <laughs> So yes. <laughs> Welcome, David. Always a pleasure to have you. Kevin said, "Are you sure about that?" Yes, and Kevin, <laughs> Kevin Holloway had said it hi, said hi to you from the chat when you first popped into the panel too. So, and now he's saying it again. Kevin Holloway saying hi, David. Uh, yeah, he's he's across the river from me. Uh, so we've been we talked about Coco Fest earlier. Are you planning on and will potentially be at Coco Fest, David? I'm planning on it. Okay. Heaven forbid anything keeps me from going. Heaven forbid. But, well, that should drive up the ticket prices right there, just knowing that David Ladd will be there. Uh -huh. Re really pack the place yeah. in. A real celebrity in our midst. That's right. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't know yeah. what you're talking about. I'm a nobody. You're somebody, David. Modest celebrity in our midst. That's it. <laughs> oh, all right. Well, good show. Good show, everybody. We managed to get this thing done in j just about three hours. Not bad. And we did lots of divergence and pontifications and went down a few tangents and a couple rabbit holes and managed to find our way back. And um, I do have one little pre-announcement to do. The dates aren't firm yet, but it looks like we're going to have Terry Steen on in the last half of April. Um, he's going to actually be showing some stuff that uh, never got released, or will be showing anyway, some stuff that never got released that was partly done, including his very first Coco 3 game he was working on, and mm. some utilities and stuff too that we haven't seen before. So uh, look forward to that. Yeah, I mean, which remind you know, so at last Coco Fest, so Terry Steen had just a bunch of Cocos set up on multiple TVs, and then he had a Coco Pie set up. And then there was a time where we just kind of sat down, and it was just him and me, and he was kind of going through all the different games that he played, talking about them, and we were playing them together. He's got one that's kind of like the outlaw with the two guys, and you shoot at each other. Yeah. He's done so many games. I mean, I know we talk about people like um, you know Steve Bjork and Dave Dyes and, and people like that that are prolific, but, I mean, this guy did... 
I mean, not the same level, but, you know, a good half a dozen to almost a dozen yeah. different games. There, there's six Coco one and two games that are ready on my site. Yeah, I finally yeah. put the last one up last week. And he also had started his first Coco three games, which was a clone of defender um, that didn't quite get completed, but it's playable. Okay. So I'll, I'll be showing that too. And then he's done some utilities like directory sorting for disk basic and, and but, some other stuff. I have to talk to him about, I'm not even sure what they do yet. So, but to have like a good half a dozen games that were all written in assembly, you know, commercial quality arcade style games that he did all himself. It's pretty impressive, you know? So it's kind of interesting, just him and I just going down that memory lane talking about those games. So I think that would be great to capture that and be able to preserve yeah. those. Actually, that, if you if you've talked about that before, I'd love to have make sure that you're on for that interview because you probably know some questions to ask him from your discussion that um, I wouldn't know to ask. Well, I don't know. It depends if you guys will let me on or not. You keep changing the Discord password to keep me out during the uh, the the, uh, the Zoom password. So. Um, yeah. I thought it was just you never showed up as yeah. usual. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah, no, it would be great. I mean, he's uh, he's another one of the the jewels and gems of our community. He's done so many cool things, you know. Um, cool stuff, cool stuff. Good show, everybody, and, and definitely the cherry on the uh, cherry on the cake, or whatever you want to call it. Cherry on top was having David Ladd join us here at the end of the show, and uh, oh my. Uh, so I guess we will run the outro and then we'll come back for any parting thoughts after this. Uh, just a scant three-hour show today. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk. Am I sharing audio? Leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calor nope. computer, MC10, and Dragon systems. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click on the Patreon link on our website, cocotalk.live. Cocotalk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Alan Murphy, Amigos Retro Gaming, Bill Noble, Brian Joyce, Brian Weasler, Curtis Boyle, D. Bruce Moore, Danny O'Connor, David Lang, Eric Canales, George Jansen, Grant Leedy, James Diffendapper, Jason Reichert, Jim Brain, Ken Reichert, Ken Waters, Mark Bosley, Mark Overholzer, Mikey Furman, Mr. Dave 6309, Nick Morentes, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Paul Fiscarelli, Richard Lorbieski, Rick Adams, Rick Ewan, Rob Inman, Ron Delvaux, Samuel Gimes, Sloopy Malibu, Steve Bjork, Terry Steggy, Tom C., and many, many more. Please help support the Coco community. A list of various contributors and resources are available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The original Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. The new Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2020 by D. Bruce Moore. Both are mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever!
Yep. called stylized oh yeah and my microphone was my microphone was muted from before oh yeah so i'll just repeat that right so um for those of you uh watching did not hear anything i just said this that was dress rehearsal um yeah so that um that outro is a slideshow of pictures taken from many years of coco fests and vcf and so we're definitely trying to make sure people want to come to coco fest this year and i was just mentioning that this show started uh as being inspired by um, Coco Fest. We were mentioning that we're in our sixth year now, this show. And this show was really celebrating our anticipation of the upcoming Coco Fest back in when, what, what year was that, 2017? I don't remember, March, March, March 2017? March so, 19th. March 19th, 2017. So we were just kind of filibustering and talking about, uh, isn't it gonna be great? What's Coco Fest gonna be like this year, right? And so this show started in celebration of Coco Fest and Coco Fest is a a thing where people get together in person to celebrate the Coco and the Coco community, and so Coco Fest is going on thirty years, thirty one years now, where people get together in person to celebrate the hobby and the community and the computer, and it's a lot of fun. It's a great vacation. It's a great way to geek out in person. That's how I've met most of you in person. If I've met you in person and. Some of you I still haven't met, but um, yeah, so Coco Fest is the um, the single best thing you can do. If you're a fan of the Coco and you're a fan of the Coco community, Coco Fest is like that geek weekend, right? Um, and it's coming up this year, and uh, we did talk about the schedule and the speakers. It's on a Friday and a Saturday. If you're coming to Coco Fest, try to get in early and stay late. Plan on flying in on a Friday and plan on flying home on a Monday if you're flying or you're driving. Make those plans because... We um, do stuff up until the very last minute, right? So there's always hanging out in the lobby afterwards. There's dinners. When Coco Fest ends on a Sunday and they kick us out by like 5, 6 o'clock from the exhibit room, then we go to a dinner somewhere again. So there's a lot of hanging out. There's a lot of socializing. There's a lot of uh, the in-person touchy-feely, um, just good vibes and hanging out with fellow Coco geeks, right? Monday morning breakfast. Um, Monday morning breakfast. So yeah, so this show started in celebration of Coco Fest, and and so I'm hoping that we are the second best thing to Coco Fest, right? The single best thing you can do as a fan of the Coco is to hang out with people in person at a Coco Fest. Hopefully, the second best thing is this show. Hopefully, we're capturing that spirit of what it's like to love that machine and the community and the people who still use and support that system. So I hope we are carrying that torch that Glenside started doing 30 years ago, uh, keeping that flame alive, as D. Bruce Moore says in our intro, right? Keeping the tanned flame alive, right? So um, so that's all I have to say about that. So get your ass to Cocoa Fest this year, May 14th and 15th. Go to glensideccc.com for information on how to reserve a table, reserve a room, all that good stuff. And hopefully we will see you at Cocoa Fest this year. Uh, thanks for being here, guys. Any parting thoughts on the show today? Parting thoughts, final thoughts, final words. Be good to everybody. Be good. God bless us, everyone. Tiny Tim. And we finally uh, got back over three hours because people were complaining so much last week that we were so short. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. 
So uh, thank you, Mark Bosley. Any final thoughts from you, Mark Bosley? No. Was last year your first in-person Cocoa Fest? Yes, it was. Yeah, that was cool. Rick Yu, was that your first? That's the first time I met Rick Yu was last year. Uh, was that first your first time, Cocoa Fest or first time in a long time? First time in a long time. Yeah. Yeah, Mark. We've jammed together at previous Cocoa Fest, so okay, back excellent. in the 90s. And Ken, you're going to be there this year, assuming they will still let Canadians cross the border. I don't have any last-minute parliament changes or anything like that, so that would be good. Ron Delvo, you going to make it this year? You're muted, but I heard I heard the rattling of your head when you shook your head there. And by the way, WeFax, <laughs> um, you're still <laughs> muted. And there you go. Now you're unmuted. Take we a drink, Ron. WeFax. Okay. So, yeah, so so Cocoa Fest is a weekend of just getting together and, and geeking out, right? Seeing exhibits, seeing projects, hearing people talk, having food, having drinks, hanging out, uh, geeking out. Like I was mentioning with uh, Terry Steen, I just sat there and he just talked about his games and we played his games together. And it was just really cool, you know. Um, got to see Rick's uh, networking stuff all set up. Got to feel the clicky keys on his keyboard, you know. So we got to see John Strong's prototype 3D printed cocoa case, you know. So all the things that are happening. We got to see Brendan Donahue's riser for the MC10 so you could put the cocoa VGA in the MC10. So there was a lot of things to see there last year, even though it was only like a three-quarter attendance because of Cocoa Fest or COVID, right? It was still a great event this year, hopefully even bigger, even better. Please come. Uh, that's all I have to say. Anybody else want to say anything? Or we're just going to say goodbye, everybody. OG Hugo has a question in the chat. He said, is it possible to move the next Cocoa Fest to California? I would say <laughs> probably not because it's sponsored by Glenside. But there is a VCF. There's a VCF there. West, right? Yep. There's a VCF West, and a lot of Cocoa folks on the West Coast do go there. We did provide really good coverage one year. Um, so VCF, yeah, the VCF things are the second best thing to, um, to Cocoa Fest. It's like a multi Mark, do you know when the next one is? Tuesday, first weekend in August. Yeah, just go to VC, oh, is it VCF.org or something is the main parent yeah, site VCF, for that. VCFED. 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 Okay. Yep. So, yeah. So, hopefully, we'll have a really good turnout at Cocoa Fest this year and all that good stuff. So, uh, thanks, guys, for another great week, another great show. Uh, I'm going to say goodbye, everybody. Anybody else have anything to say? Nope. See you next week. All right. All goodbye, everybody. Say. I'm going to press the button, all Frank. Time, everybody. We are pressing the button, Frank. Stop recording.